With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Time to rise and shine with the Hair Radio Morning Show with Carrie Hines. Welcome to the Hair Radio Show on Blog Talk Radio. He's the host with the most, Mr. Carrie Hines. Good morning, and welcome to an all-new live edition of the Hair Radio Morning Show. We're the longest-running daily live broadcast on hair in the world, 25 years and counting. Now, on today's broadcast, we've got the latest in hair and beauty talk, great music, and much, much more. I must thank our Carapy Hair Products, Hair Nation Expo events, Salon TV Network, and all of our amazing advertisers who are responsible for getting this episode on the air. Now, if today is your first time tuning in, thank you. And remember to press 1 to make a live comment or shout-out during the show. We're here each weekday from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 5 to 8 Central. Now grab your cup of coffee and enjoy today's show.
and my sorrow in the promise of another tomorrow. I'll never let you part. And I listen every day to the Hair Radio Morning Show. This is Crystal Jones Bond, and we are celebrating the year of the woman on the Hair Radio Show. I don't know what time it is. Look at here. It's the Hair Morning Radio Hair Show with Jerry Hines. This is your boy, Smooth Black. I just want to say, y'all, uh, thank God for this company, y'all. Y'all better be blessed. The Hair Radio Nation going to the next level, y'all. Get it, 2021. God bless. It's two thumbs up. The Hair Radio Morning Show goes to the movies. It's our brand new movie talk radio segment. Listen live. Tune in right here on our broadcast for our unique review of the latest movie. Join us live on the air to chat. It's movie talk on the Hair Radio Morning Show. The Let Your Spirit Source segment on the Hair Radio Morning Show is about getting your day and ours started with positive thoughts, well wishes, great quotes, and amazing affirmations. So if you have one you'd like to share, please send it through our Salon TV Network app and we'll get it featured on the air. I'm Carrie Hines. You're invited to be part of our new limited radio broadcast series, Talking about Cosby, it's our chance to collectively delve into the life and career and legacy of Bill Cosby, right here on the Hair Radio Morning Show. Now, we've got great on-air commentators who will be lending their voices to this complex man's story, and we want to hear from you. Our mid-show hour from 7 to 8 a.m. Eastern, 6 to 7 Central, it's your chance to call in and speak live on the air. Go to our Facebook page, The Hair Radio Morning Show, for complete details. As women, it seems like we carry the weight of the world on our shoulders, and that weight is directly balanced between your two feet. And with this balancing act, who do you think is suffering? It's not the kids. It's your feet. While running errands, paying bills, or dodging traffic, you could be ruining your feet. Wearing the wrong shoes for the wrong period of time can cause more damage than you think. Hammer toe and bunions are the leading deformities in black women. And Dr. Yolanda Raglan is the first black and only female podiatrist with practices dedicated solely to the correction of these type of deformities. So let this black girl do some magic and fix your feet. For more information, visit FixYourFeet.com, providing medically necessary surgery with a cosmetic result. You're listening to the Hair Radio Morning Show. I'm Carrie Hines. And I have a very special guest with us today. His name is Dr. Joel Freeman. Now, he is the founder, CEO, and president of the Freeman Institute. Dr. Freeman, I'd like to welcome you to the Hair Radio Morning Show. Well, it's my pleasure to be with you, Carrie. Absolutely. Now, first of all, um, we've got to start at the beginning. Tell everyone what the Freeman Institute is. It's a company I, I started uh, back about 21, 22 years ago, and uh, we have eight arenas of expertise, 
And that ranges from workshops and retreats and keynote addresses to a culture change, reality-based organizational change. And then uh, I do executive success coaching. Uh, I do Black History and Diversity Day presentations. And uh, I have a whole aspect that deals with entrepreneurship and business intelligence and creativity. And then do open registration seminar events for communities and then also develop the uh, Rosetta Stone Replica Project. Uh, the Rosetta Stone is not the language software company. It's the uh, actual uh, artifact that was used to crack the code to hieroglyphics back in the um, uh, early 1800s. And the original is in the British Museum. It was uh, made in, in Egypt, on uh, the West Bank of the Nile. They found it in 1799. Uh, French soldiers did. But uh, anyway, it's, I have the world's first and only full-size three-dimensional replica that's available for the general public. And I also have my own publishing company and, and other projects we're, we work in, work with. So that kind of gives you uh, pr pretty much a quick overview of, of the Institute. Sure. And, and tell the folks out there, where is the Institute located? And uh, we'll take it from there in terms of what it's all about. Sure. It's in uh, Maryland not far from Annapolis, Maryland. Okay. And so I want to just let everybody know, as you were kind enough to just kind of give us a quick uh, overview of the Freeman Institute, but when I looked at your website at um, freemaninstitute.com, I saw quite a bit of information, um, so many different things that really kind of piqued my interest, and I was just blown away, to be quite frank with you, Dr. Freeman. Uh, one of the things that uh, we'll get into, there's so many different aspects, like I said, that we're going to get into, but the, one, of the, one of my favorite parts that I uncovered on your site, of course, um, like some of the, you know, on a lighter side, some of the quotes that you have there are just fantastic. And um, so, you know, I just wanted to let you know that I'm someone who gravitates oh, towards you. quotes and things of that nature. So I, when I saw and I look at your uh, kind of your long list of items that you have on your site, and I see that you cover kind of everything, you really do, and you outline it there, you put it there. It's a lot of work that has gone into this. You have some wonderful things that you're doing, uh, obviously in the way of education, and you have, uh, you know, just uh, some great things uh, historical of historical content, um, you know, reference. And then my other part. Um, the other part of this that I absolutely love um, is that you have a huge collection so of uh, artifacts and things that um, you know that document the African American experience or the African experience. I guess that if you were on, on some level, so you know we want to walk. We want you to walk us through just about everything. So, um, and then I'm going to end with the entrepreneurship because that's another part of this that fits into a great deal of uh, where we are today at uh, the Hair Radio Morning Show and what we talk about quite often. So I've got a whole thing on that uh, to kind of cover with you. So let's talk about um, this particular, um, before we even get into Annie Malone, which we will definitely get into, Let's talk about the, I think I saw something that you had written, a documentary, if you will, on a white man's journey into uh, or through black, uh, black America, I think it was. Why don't you tell the folks about this and 
how all this came to be, uh, why this came to be, and, and how you got involved? Because I understand that you're from Canada. Is that correct? That's correct. Um, okay. Yeah, what so happened is I ended up leaving home when I was 17. I come from a little town of uh, Three Hills, Alberta, Canada, and I left home at 17 to start hitchhiking all around North America, long-haired wow. hippie, dope-smoking fool, and just uh, traveled probably five, 6,000 miles on my thumb uh, pretty much wow. all around uh, North America. And then I had um, uh, an experience that actually changed my life it, that really uh, caused me to, um, uh, to, to, to revisit you know, what my purpose was and what my goals were. I signed up for Bible school the next day. and uh, How became, old were you, if I may ask, at that point? <laughs> I was, as you uh, don't actually, mind. I was actually about 17. Really? I was, I was 19 years of age. I'm sorry, 19 at that point. Wow. Okay. And then I ended up going to uh, school. I became a pastor. I became chaplain for the Bullets, the Wizards, and the NBA. Wow. Uh, one of the first chaplains in the history of the NBA. And I started that in 1978-79 season. And um, So then, what are the chaplain, for those of us who don't know, uh, obviously, we know what a chaplain uh, does in general. But what 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 did chaplain for the NBA do exactly? Like, how does how does all that work? Well, I'm actually writing a book about it right now called Finding the Open Man, subtitled <clears throat> the uh, subtitled the Surprising Benefits of Unselfishness. And uh, basically, the whole idea behind being a chaplain is to be a confidant, a friend, someone without any hidden agenda someone who uh, keeps everything in absolute confidence and uh, is just there for the guys. is not there to take, but to give. And it's such a rare situation for, uh, for so many NBA players because most people have a, have a hidden and sometimes not so hidden agenda. And so sometimes they don't even know for a year to two years what their real agenda is for some people that want to get close to them, either through their kids, wow. their fa fa wife or family, parents. They try to get through to the player. And so uh, I, really I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to do it. And so uh, I just, uh, but I just knew I could, I could love these guys unconditionally and I could uh, uh, be a listening ear. I didn't always have the right thing to say perhaps, but I could at least listen. And I think that uh, over 20 seasons, I mean, there are six coaching changes, and generally speaking, a new coach brings in uh, his or her new people, you know, depending on the WNBA or NBA or whatever. They just clear the deck and start with their own people. And uh, to have survived six coaching changes, I, I still shake my head. It, it's remarkable to me that that even happened. But it was a, a great ride. Got to know a lot of players and their families, and um, that, in a nutshell, is is what it's all about. So you probably uh, well. Well, I also understand that uh, you used to get a lot of questions from these guys, and that's kind of what also helped to prompt you and and kind of push you forward with uh, you know getting uh, to have a deeper understanding. So, uh, what kind of questions did they pepper you with? Well, what happened is, is uh, of course, you can imagine when I was 25 years of age when this happened, and uh, my first year, my first season, and and I, I've always looked rather young, 
And uh, you can imagine I probably looked about 16 or 17 years of age when I was 25. And uh-huh. so uh, they're they're looking at each other and saying, you mean we're supposed to spill our guts to that guy? you got to be kidding me. <laughs> and so um, it was uh, earning their respect. But I think that they were testing the seams of my soul and trying to and, and the sincerity of my heart by asking questions. And it's probably unconscious. I don't think it was a conscious uh, uh, grilling or anything like that. But over time, they right. began to ask questions like, you know, what did Jesus look like? Um, what part did people of African descent have to play in biblical and extra-biblical history? Um, uh, just questions like that that I, I found that I, I did not have the responses to. Heck, I didn't even know what questions to ask. And so uh, what happened is that little by little, it forced me to start researching so that I could have some type of a credible response to them. Then you fast forward. That was my first inkling, uh, uh, real inkling, that, uh, that I needed to grow and expand. I never was interested in history in school, but uh, that, that got me started. Then you fast forward to about 95, 1995, I met a gentleman by the name of Don Griffin. He was the senior HR manager for a company, and uh, by that time in 93, I had stopped pastoring and decided to take my pastor's heart into the business world. So I launched my own company called the Freeman Institute. And uh, at that point, uh, I was at his job, you know, working, uh, doing some some uh, events for his senior leadership team. And uh, between sessions, Don began to share with me his journey as, a, as an African-American male uh, growing up and some of the n- latest revelations and understandings he ho- had about himself and about history. And it fascinated me. So uh, I began to study some of the things that he was saying, began to research. I had that much respect for him. And uh, I remember going to the, the, the um, library time and time again. Uh, there's no Internet at the time. And um, I just would get these, the, what we used to call VHSs or videos. <laughs> right, <laughs> remember videos. those. And so uh, I'd bring home a, a video, let's say, a series called um, Africa, A Voyage of Discovery by Basil Davidson. Uh, is a BBC series. Uh, a man from Great Britain, and then I'd uh, pick up the uh, Eyes on the Prize, Part One, Part Two, uh, the Promised Land, about the move from the South to the, especially the Chicago Land area, and uh, I just began to read books, and and then I bumped into Ivan Van Sertima, and uh, I remember calling him up. I, someone gave me his home phone number. I called him up, and I said. Uh, uh, you don't know me, and I barely know you, but uh, I would like to get to know you. And what happened is that he began to share things with me, and then he, he got my address. The next thing I knew, three weeks later, I got a big, huge box of his books that he edited and wrote. And then I called him back and asked him if I could, if he would become my historical guide, my main historical guide. And we spent hours on the phone together where I'd read a book, and I'd redline it, I'd ask all kinds of questions, and he let me ask any off-the-wall question that was ricocheting around my little pea brain. It was just a fascinating experience. Wow. We had a great time talking. He's passed away now since uh, 19, uh, 20, 2000, 2009. And um, I miss him, you know, on, on many levels, but especially just uh, hanging out with him on the phone, just talking with him about various things, bouncing ideas around. 
So uh, that kind of was the the genesis to, um, and then I met a gentleman by the name of of Mark Mitchell, who has a huge black history collection. And Mark and I began to talk, and I just saw the power of his collection, Uh, just the impact it had. It is a transcendent quality, transcending race and gender and generation and religion, uh, class. I mean, just fascinating. And so I began to, uh, he became a mentor of mine, and I I began to develop my own collection, which is now well over 3,000 pieces. Uh, The oldest piece dates back to 1553. I've been able to do exhibits at the United Nations twice, and plus they've used some of my pieces and information on international exhibit that's going around the world right now. Uh, Clinton Presidential Library have done things in conjunction with the White House communications staff. Uh, also, uh, Secret Service, four years in a row, FBI, just fascinating uh, stuff that wow. has emerged as a result of this collection. It's, it's opened up doors, and I find that, especially when I'm speaking about diversity or black history, um, it opens up the minds and hearts to receive what I have to sa- share, because when people see 20, 30, 40 pieces uh, of my collection and exhibit before I speak, you know, now they're intrigued. What's this? What? Why does? What's this white guy all about? What's his? What's his deal? You know, what, what's what's motivating him? And that's the cartoon bubble above everybody's head. And so I'm able to respond uh, best I can to that. In fact, I have a website called WhiteMansStory.com. That white white man's no apostrophe on the s man's, but WhiteMansStory.com. And that's my uh, online response to that question. That people have about uh, you know what motivated me to get involved. Well, I also want to talk a little bit more about this amazing collection that everybody is talking about, of course, uh, that you indicated you know, over three thousand pieces. Um, I think I saw in your video or somewhere where it even had like uh, the shackles, if you will, uh, uh, for like uh, that some of the the, the slaves may have uh, you know worn or what have you. Um, in addition to so many other different things, what are some of the other standout items that are included in the collection? And and uh, I understand that it is online to some degree. Yes, blackhistorycollection.com gives kind of a, a brief overview of some of the pieces, but uh, it's blackhistorycollection.com, singular. And... Um, uh, you know, that, that uh, one pair of uh, shackles that I received, I was over in, in Ghana at the uh, Slave Coast Castle, and um, I was talking with a gentleman there. His name was C- Stephen Donica, and uh, I began to share with him a little bit about, uh, you know, the film that I had co-created with Don Griffin and the book and uh, some other things in my collection. And then uh, I said, how would it, would it be possible for me to get a... Uh, a pair of shackles, a set of shackles from here, from Africa. And he says, I don't know, but I'll find out. He brought everything before the village elders there, and uh, they voted unanimously to donate a set to me, which he uh, he sent to me. And I, wow. I and I just blown away that they uh, were that kind, and because uh, I'm, I'm sure it's not an unlimited number of shackles they have available. And uh, for them to do that, uh, I, I'm just, uh, I just feel so respected by these indivi- the individuals who voted on this. 
and of course also Steve and Danica. And so um, the other pieces I have, what I've tried to do, Carrie, is to develop uh, kind of a more of a global picture because I find that here in America and uh, in some parts of, of Canada also, there's this intractable uh, black-white uh, situation where it's very hard to understand to cross the that, that uh, no man's land or so, so to speak between the two races, and so I tried to bring more of an international view, and because I, I I really think that uh, once people begin to realize that there was there were things going on in in uh, in, in South America, in fact uh, there's well over three million that uh, right now that speak. Spanish and Portuguese, people of African descent in South Africa, and many people don't can't imagine that and 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 cannot understand it. But it, it just is. I have documents going back to uh, 1553 from Peru, from Ecuador, uh, from Argentina. Some of them are written in Old Spanish, uh, so that even if someone knows Spanish today, they cannot even read these other documents. You have to have a specialized understanding about the old Spanish Spanish script, and these are all uh, slave documents. Uh, I've got an uh, 11-page uh, document from a hospital where slaves were, uh, if they got sick, that's where they went. Uh, Saint Bartholomew, uh, just outside of Lima, Peru, and um, it's just an astonishing thing. And then also I have, what I've tried to do with the collection is I've not tr I tried not to spend so much time documenting the horrific nature of of the slave trade and all the rest of it, even though that's a part of the picture and is a necessary part of the picture. What I've tried to do is to showcase the inventiveness uh, of it uh, and the creativity of people who are uh, have been under the boot of slavery and the trade. And, uh, uh, you know, and what have you found Jim Crow for the most laws. part? Right. Well, what I've discovered is I developed a metaphor that uh, is not new, but I've applied it to this situation. It's called Blades of Grass in a Concrete Jungle. I commissioned a 90-second uh, animated video that people can see on YouTube, uh, Blades of Grass in a Concrete Jungle. And it, uh, what it basically is, is the, the, the concrete is a metaphor for all the horrific things that have happened, ranging from lynching, the black code laws, and uh, and just uh, the depression where blacks were hired last and fired first, and just so many issues that are it's, it's impossible to exaggerate the horrific nature uh, that uh, what people endured. But then we talk about the blades of grass who came up through, cracked through, uh, and sometimes <coughs> exploded through the concrete. So. Uh, the thicker the concrete, the more inspirational the story. So by using this metaphor, it gives permission to talk about the horrific nature without it being a downer. Because then, as I mentioned, the thicker the concrete, the more inspirational the story. Once we begin to understand how terrible it was, and then we see the accomplishments of, the, of individuals in spite of how terrible it was, my goodness, uh, I, to myself, I say, you know, uh, man, I think I've got problems. <laughs> you know, I mean, here's, right. an, here's an example of somebody who had everything stacked against them, and they still uh, made something of their lives and an inspiration to their families. I mean, we all have concrete internally. 
uh, stuff like, you know, hey, I'm dumb, I'm stupid, I can't make it, I'm a fraud, uh, you know, if people really knew what I was all about. That's the, that's the stuff that echoes in the minds and the hearts of just about every human being and at one point or another that can actually rob them of their purpose and their potential. And so we all have that internal concrete. I'm too short. I'm too fat. I'm too skinny. I'm too tall. I'm too this. I'm too that. My ears are too big. My ears are too small. My hair is not enough. You know, all that kind of stuff that, that gurgles around. But then you add to it the systemic issues in a culture that provide external concrete that that actually uh, can uh, can become so uh, terrible and, and and so demanding of a person's attention that it can actually cripple them and and uh, and come rolling over them and just say, well, I, I guess I'm nothing. I might as well commit suicide. I might as well do something harmful to myself so that I, I sabotage my own success. But here are people that came up through it in spite of it. And that, to me, is, uh, I just shake my head. And every time I see pieces from uh, Annie Malone and uh, Madam C.J. Walker and uh, Frederick Douglass and Toussaint Louverture and uh, other individuals, Marcus Garvey, I mean, the list goes on and on and on of individuals. Pearl Bailey, um, it just is astonishing to me what these individuals accomplished. And so what I've tried to do is develop a, a touchstone, if you will. For instance, like Pearl Bailey, I have the actual check that she was paid for her part in Porgy and Bess. And, uh, really? Someone, I'm not going to tell you how much it was because someone might say, how much was that? I'm going to say you have yeah, to go that's to blackhistorycollection.com <laughs> and uh, do a search for Pearl Bailey, and you'll find out how much she was paid for her part in the movie that came out in the early 50s. And so it, wow. it just is amazing when you think of what people like her accomplished. I have Ethel Waters, her contract, mm-hmm. her book, His Eyes on the Sparrow. It was a smash bestseller. And, um, and I have the actual contract signed by her and her uh, co-author, the one who, uh, the ghostwriter, not the ghostwriter, because he, he was declared that he, he wrote the book, but co-author with her, uh, Charles Samuels. And then I have other items in here. Well, Dr. Uh, Freeman, is it, is it, was it hard to kind of gather these items? Um, how do you find these items? I mean, is it, <laughs> is it easier nowadays because of the Internet, I guess I should ask? It's actually very difficult. If someone were to b- embark upon a collection like this right, right now. Right, if I were to start a collection today, uh, I don't think I would be able would be to do virtually- it be virtually impossible, and I'm not kidding. It, it is. Wow. I know what out, what's out there and what's not out there, and it is uh, it, the stuff that you get now, just reproductions, and there's a lot of fakes, and uh, mm. it's very hard. For instance, I have, a, I have an original letter, handwritten letter by Frederick Douglass. Uh, it's it's wow. almost priceless because where could you find one? You know, someone might say, "Well, I've got everything." No, you don't. You don't have a handwritten letter by Frederick Douglass. You no, know? And, that's, and, that's and to huge. Someone like an Oprah or a, you know, you name the names mm-hmm. uh, out there of individuals that would be interested. I mean, it just it, you, if they went out to look for it, they they couldn't find some items that that I've been able to bring together. Wow. Wow. Well, I have to say, let me just remind everybody and kind of bring everybody up to where we are. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Hair Radio Morning Show. Now, today's guest is Dr. Joel Freeman, and he is the founder, CEO, and president of the Freeman Institute. 
uh, in Maryland. And I'm so, I think um, we've been kind of following along and just thoroughly impressed with the amount of information that you have. You are truly a historian in every sense of the word um, and an entrepreneur and you just uh, you just cover everything, really. I don't think I've seen anybody in a long time like this who I just um, we're all blown away with this kind of information, this knowledge, and the willingness that you share, uh, just uh, putting it out there, and um, it's it's quite remarkable. So um, I'm going to kind of turn to um, well, you know what? I, I do want to talk a little bit about um, Annie Malone and some of the other folks that you write about. And I know we kind of glossed over the book a, a bit that you, uh, that you wrote with the, uh, with the gentleman, uh, Don, Griffith, Don Griffin, I believe. Don Griffin, yes. So, yeah, so I want you to talk about the book specifically, tell the folks a little bit more. Is it still, are we able to get a copy of this book? Yes, it can be gotten online on Amazon or any, anywhere else. And um, or they can contact me after the program or something like that, and I'd be happy to sign a copy for them and send it to them. Sure. Um, right. But it's, now it's called they, the Return to Glory. I just want to make sure that yes. it's clear. Return to Glory. Subtitled, subtitled, the powerful stirring of the black man. And uh, the first half is uh, all about the historical content, and that's the the half that Don wrote. The second half has to do with the mental, emotional, spiritual roadmap to wholeness. And in that, la that last part, uh, I, I detail how a person can walk through the grieving process. Uh, when, uh, because I remember when I was interviewing people for the book, uh -huh. especially because the book is targeting especially young men, ages about 12 to about 27. And uh, when, while we were researching this, we had people tell us, you're crazy. You know, wh why would you want to write a book? Because if you want to hide something from young African-American men, you just put it in a book, right? That's what they're telling us. Oh, and they said, you're, it, yeah. you're wasting your time. You've got to use more visual, music, whatever, other, other means and methodologies to reach your target audience. But we, we forwarded, we kept on going with it. And... Uh, I'll Which is a horrible stereotype, all in it, you know, unto it, itself. It is absolutely, <laughs> you know? absolutely. Yeah. But that's the that was the messaging we we were right. message we were getting from people we were interviewing for the book. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. So anyway, what happened is um, the second half deals with the mental, emotional, spiritual roadmap. And so what I what I did is, um, you can imagine on a suspicion scale from somewhat to to extremely suspicious, we're banging on the extremely suspicious end of the scale when I'm interviewing uh, someone, let's say, for the book. And they're saying, you know, why are you writing this book? And who are you? And what are you all about? And so um, uh, what I did is I asked a question, a question that changed the tone of every single interview and brought some of us from 40, some interviews from 45 minutes to sometimes four, six, maybe even eight hours. Some dear friendships emerging. And here's the question that changed the tone of every single interview. Do you remember the moment when you realized that because of the color of your skin that the rules were somehow different for you? Now, by asking that question, to have a 65-year-old man pause, look out the window, and then look back at me, and then tell me with brilliant clarity what happened when he was five or six years of age. 
knowing what the remembering the weather, what he was wearing, his mother's response when he told her about it, and just uh, my goodness, it, it uh, really uh, that question changed the tone because I began to then see that there was a whole grieving process after that moment, whether it's five or six or seven or eight or ten or twelve or nineteen or twenty years of age, uh, depending on the situation, to then go from that moment. To, the, to what Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote uh, when she was still alive. She wrote a book about the grieving process. And grieving, uh, we've all lost loved ones or lost a dream, but grieving is all about loss. And so uh, the loss that I began to identify, because uh, my Ph.D. work is in psychology, and I think in that direction, uh, began to see that the loss had to do with it was the loss of innocence, that all of a sudden a young kid, a young boy, young girl, a young individual, suddenly, has it's like the scales have been taken off. It's like the, the blinders have been taken off, and they now can see, wow, they hate me just because of the color of my skin? You've got to be kidding me. And then the grieving process, ranging from denial to, uh, to depression to... Uh, just all the different aspects that, that go with the whole grieving process. And in the book, I spend a chapter on each layer, each aspect of the grieving process. And of course, it isn't a neat, uh, nice and tidy, well, I'm moving from one part to the next, and never to be revisited, but a person could be in, in what whatever acceptance means, you know, because who knows what that means. A person could be in acceptance at 4.30 in the afternoon and be back at square one at 7 o'clock that night and uh, working through the whole process again. So that began to really unlock to me uh, the doorway, the, under, the gateway to understanding uh, what humans go through in a situation like this. And, uh, mm-hmm. and it, just, it just had an astonishing impact on me. Well, you know something, Dr. Freeman, I have to ask you, and I think this is about as good a time as any. Uh, when you see all of the things that are happening uh, in the country uh, in these current times, uh, and you uh, being uh, a person of faith and education and all of the above, and uh, what uh, what can you say? And what how do you how do you? How do you, how do you, I don't even know how to explain it. What are your thoughts on it? I'm just curious. Well, I think that um, humans are humans wherever we go. Uh, In other words, if you're a Korean in Japan, you're going to be experiencing uh, some, some, just some crazy situations. Uh, If you are a, um, uh, let's say a gypsy in Hungary or in in Sweden, uh, you're, you're going to be experiencing situations that are, are uh, very, very difficult. And if you're in from one tribal system or another tribal system, uh, warring against another tribal system in Africa, very similar dynamics. Same color of skin in all uh, in, in these accounts, uh, except Korean and Jap- Japanese might have just a variation of the color of skin. But um, and also in Mexico, if you're darker skin or lighter skin color. Uh, the darker-skinned uh, individuals deal with incredible uh, discrimination. In Italy, if you're from North Italy versus South Italy, in Great Britain, uh, just the sound of your speech. If you're from Yorkshire uh, or Scotland uh, and you're talking with someone who is from uh, uh, London, 
uh, you know, from a certain part of London, there's immediate, the moment the person opens their mouth, there's an immediate class system that emerges. My point being is that um, for me, uh, I think that wherever we go, there's going to be this kind of situation. And I, and I think it's important for us to understand the history so that we never repeat it you know, personally. Let me tell you a quick story. Uh, I was down at Los Alamos National Laboratory uh, some years back, about seven, eight, maybe ten years ago now. And I was uh, doing their speaking at their um, uh, Martin Luther King event. And uh, I talked about the moment. And I talked about the grieving process. And there was a gentleman there who was very high up at Los Alamos National Laboratory at the time, a man of African descent. He came up to me afterwards and began to share with me his story a little bit. And then, uh, after he shared with me a story, uh, he said, you know, he says, when I experienced the moment, when I realized because of the color of my skin that the rules were somehow different for me, he said, it was like a, a hurricane force wind came against me. And he was no more than about six, seven years of age. And he said, uh, in fact, by the way, when you think about hurricane, a hurricane, it, it takes about, uh, what is it, 75 miles per hour for a wind right. to get a name. And, and he said that uh, what happened is that when that, he said, yeah, I learned as a young man how to lean into the wind. I learned how to have a sense of humor in the midst of the wind. I learned, it was a dark sense of humor, but I had a sense of humor. Right. I learned how to be successful in spite of the wind. I learned how to have relationships with people in spite of the wind, but I knew the wind was there. And he says later on, he says, I, I rose very pretty high in, my, in the ranks. I got a job in Japan. He said, I went to Japan and uh, got a tour there. And he said, the moment I got off the airplane, he says, wouldn't you know it, the wind stopped. And remember what I said about the Korean and Japanese. If you're Korean, the wind is at about 120 miles per hour for you. But as an African, a man of African descent, he said the wind has stopped for him. About three, four weeks later, there were uh, a delegation from D.C. came to visit. And he said they, they uh, met at a restaurant. And he said within the first five minutes, he said, at the, at the restaurant, he says, I felt the wind pick up again. It was just crazy and strange. Then he looked at me. He's a no BS kind of guy. He looked at me straight in the eye and as serious as a heart attack. He said, for some reason, I don't feel any wind coming from you. Now, Carrie, I don't know. It just, it, it just struck me so incredibly hard what he said to me. And I thought, to, I got, got in the car. I mean, we're in, in uh, you know, I, I had to get to Albuquerque to get on the plane, to come back to Baltimore. A couple of times I had to pull over because I was crying so much, because it meant so much to me. And I just, at that point, you know, I began to pray, I began to talk to God. I said, I never want to be a person who sponsors the wind for my wife, for my kids, for my next-door neighbors, people at church, uh, people uh, wherever I go, and be in cross-cultural situations. I don't want to be a sponsor of the wind. And not if, but when I do sponsor the wind, I just want to be man enough to go to that person, whoever it might be, and ask for forgiveness and apologize and, and, uh, and repair as best as I can. Now, I think that that is a metaphor, if you will, for how things can change. 
It's one by one, people reaching out and in spite of the pain. Uh, Henry Nowen wrote a book called The Wounded Healer, and I think that's what it's all about, that uh, in the midst, in spite of our wounds, in spite of the history, that we all seek to understand before seeking to be understood. That's what uh, Augustine said in the 4th century. Wow. Seek to understand before seeking to be understood. Those are words worth embroidering. But I love what's that. cool about that statement is that it doesn't preclude the need to be understood, but it's all about understanding. And I think if every one of us, within the sound of my voice, myself included, if every one of us over the next 30 days said, I am going to seek to understand before seeking to be understood with our spouses, with our kids, with <laughs> our next-door neighbors, everybody. Mm-hmm. And just, I, I think it could, ha- it, it could have a profound impact on, our, uh, on, on, how, on the quality of our lives, on our experiences, and the impact on our work experience, everything that we can imagine. So that, wow. that's what I think it needs to happen. And so every pore in my, every bone, every tissue in my body, every cell in my body, I want to be committed to that. I want to be committed to impacting other people, like the hot coal principle. The old days, you had the hibachi grill, and you put right. the, the briquettes in there, and there's only one or two that are hot, and then, the, and then you kind of bring the other, the other ones that are cold, you bring them up next to the hot ones, and you hope they wow. catch fire. And yeah. so uh, I just think if we can get just some people that are hot coal, uh-huh. briquette coals, and with this message, and little by little, you know, the whole purpose behind the collection. I don't, you know, I don't, I hold things lightly. You know, that collection, the whole purpose of the collection is to help create an opening in the hearts for people to hear this message. And wow. my book, the books I write, you know, everything is all designed to help open up doors and hearts, minds to these kinds of things, to get out of small mindedness, to kind of move. We can't deny the pain, but it's kind of like a ratchet wrench. You know, a lot of people view the click, 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 you know, the backwards movement. Right, right. Just as that, a backwards movement, backwards movement. But actually, when you think about the purpose of the ratchet wrench to to loosen a bolt or tighten a bolt, when you do the click, 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 that's an important part of the whole purpose of the ratchet wrench. What's my point? The point is, is I think sometimes we just need to take a step back, take a look at our pain, Click, 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 and we know it's uncomfortable. Turn the music off. Turn the, outs- the external uh, stimulation off and just confront the pain. And we might have to do it in counseling. We might have to do it reading books. We might have to do it in prayer. Uh, in a lot, a lot of different ways we deal with the pain, but we all have to do that click, click, click and take the step back. But really, that step back is not a backward step. It's a forward step because now we're ready to, uh, to confront the issues in our lives, to, to deal with people out of respect, mutual respect. It's not me trying to be black or someone try, else trying to be white. It's just saying, hey, I'm comfortable in my own skin. I'm not, I'm not going to, to diss my own people. I'm not going to tear my own race down. I'm just going to be who I am. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow you to be who you are when you come in that five-foot zone around me. And so that's what it's all about, I think. Wow. Well, I, I think you put it eloquently, I have to say. Uh, let's talk about just turning a little bit over towards the entrepreneurial part of things. And I love how you really, I have to say, I, I kind of was, I read a little bit closely about some of the items uh, in terms of you helping corporations 
in and and helping folks in terms of diversity and all kinds of different things and customer service and just teaching and being there to to help guide folks i was just quite impressed with all of that uh dr freeman so i want to kind of just talk for a moment and maybe we need to start off by recognizing uh the impact of an annie malone of uh, cj walker um, and then kind of talk about um, entrepreneurship in just in general terms. And and um, and then I have something I want to mention to you, but um, why don't we start there? Uh, why is it so important? Um, and it seems like all these things are connected when I think about, uh, you know, the Freeman Institute. Uh, it seems like all of these things that you do, there is a, there is a, a theme, there is a, a purpose for all of these different aspects that you tackle. You do a lot and you say a lot. And uh, there's a reason, I believe. Um, but I'd like for you to talk to that a little bit, you know, about the entrepreneurship um, and Annie Malone and all of that. Um, why did you decide to include Annie Malone uh, as part of your wonderful uh, site and information? Yeah. Well, Terry, you are right. Um, there's no more than two degrees of separation between any two things that I'm involved with. In fact, uh, what I did is I, and I think it's important for everyone to do this, but I figured every every major corporation or organization, faith-based, uh, nonprofit, uh, for-profit, whatever, most every successful organization has a, a vision statement, mission statement, core values, code of conduct. Right. And uh, I figure, why not? Why not everybody else? Why not individuals develop that? And so, what I've done is I developed my own vision statement, my own mission statement, my own core values, and I de detail that in uh, the the book, uh, the workbook called "If Nobody Loves You, Create the Demand." It's a book about entrepreneurship, uh, about taking taking the idea to the marketplace. It's a book about yeah. discerning the difference between a viable business dream and a nightmare as quickly as possible. And it's also developed so that uh, uh, an organization could, could create a, a uh, an entrepreneur club so that people can learn how to deal with objections and learn how to deal with rejection. Because if people can deal with those two things, especially learning it young in life, they can be successful in whatever they do, objections and rejection. And so um, I think that uh, when it comes to entrepreneurship, see, one of the things that I, I, I want to do is, is help uh, community-based organizations and faith-based organizations establish galleries, black history galleries in a community. And I think that a gallery can become, in fact, if someone goes to blackhistorygallery.com, blackhistorygallery.com. They can learn more about this model. Because I think the, the Black History Gallery can become like a town well for a community where people can learn about uh, morals and values and uh, just uh, entrepreneurship and, and so many different aspects of what it means to return to glory. And, uh, and so then what happens is that as a person learns about entrepreneurship, in fact, I, I think especially with let's say, an organization wanting to mentor youth. You know, if you come at a young person with the whole idea of morals and values, they're going to be gone off, gone in New York second. But if you come at them with the idea of how can we connect now with later, you know, what do you do, what do you want to, where do you want to be down the road five, ten years from now? 
and what are you doing now that will connect with five to ten years from now? And uh, you know, if you're if what you're doing now doesn't connect with five to ten years from now, then we need to revisit what you're doing now, <laughs> and we can do that in a very positive way and begin to understand that the future is is a connection of of uh, the eternal now, you know, the moment, these moments that we connect together that become the future. And so I think it's important to bring a, a group of young people together, let's say, and say, let's, mm-hmm. let's, let's have an entrepreneur club. And um, by the way, let's develop an entrepreneurial uh, business together. And I developed a whole magazine project around that that's going crazy around the country right now. And... Um, and let's develop a, a project so that you can learn how to deal with objections and rejection. And then you can learn how to uh, shake a hand uh, firmly while you're looking squarely in someone's eyes. You can learn how to dress in a way, in a manner that's going to be one less speed bump for someone to go over to get to you as a person. Uh, we're going to learn how to, uh, just the way we communicate uh, what we say, how we say it, when we say it, time, tone, tact. We're, we're going to look at all these different aspects. We look at your values, your morals, your character. But you see, all this stuff gets slipped in through the side door. And mm. it, it's uh, along the way, all this stuff begins to int- becomes introduced because, you know, if you want to be successful, if you want to make more money, if you want to be a person that has a greater purpose in life, and attracts people to you, your counsel's in demand, uh, you have to start looking at these other areas. But if you lead with that foot, the other area foot, it's going to drive them away. But if you lead with the foot uh, you know, of, of success and entrepreneurship, because we're all either going to be an employer or an employee. And I, I prefer to train up employers, people with an entrepreneurial mindset that can end up hiring 100, 1,000, 10,000 people down the road exactly. and provide jobs for families. And that's the kind of mindset I like to prepare people for and, um, and so that they're almost not content for anything else but that. <laughs> exactly. Well, I love that. I really do. And that makes a lot of sense to, to me. Uh, speaking of which, uh, I see that you have the video there. I didn't get a chance to uh, discover that before we, uh, you know, began to chat today. But I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, the uh, Madam C.J. Walker items that you have, uh, and I believe they're part of your collection. Or, or tell us a little bit about that and how did you, you know, we'll turn to the hair part of it. Okay. How did you? Yeah. How did you? How did you get that and? And talk a little bit about that. And I'm looking at your video, but I'm not, I don't have the sound up. So, you know, walk me through a little bit of of what all of that is about. Well, Madam C.J. Walker, most everyone has heard of her. Uh, And because when when I'm in a crowd, let's say a thousand people, and I ask, how many here of Madam C.J. Walker? And hands go up everywhere. She's an incredible person. She fought against lynching. She, She gave money for uh, fighting against lynching. She went to Washington, D.C. to help uh, create legislation against lynching. Uh, She was a woman of great character who helped to develop um, entrepreneurs, women entrepreneurs. And uh, and yet, the question I generally have in a situation like that is, okay, what well did she draw her water from? Who, what shoulders did she stand on to become who she was? And so uh, I, I bumped into Annie Malone. 
and hardly in that same crowd of a thousand people, you might have ninety-nine percent of the folks raising their hand about Annie Malone, about the managers of Walker, but then you might have three or four people saying they know who Annie Malone is. (laughs) So uh, I figured I'm going to make it part of my life mission is to help uh, help people know about who Annie Malone is. Uh, yes. Because she no, was. Yes. Go ahead. Go right ahead. Sorry. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. She was. Oh no. Uh, she was an an incredible person. Uh, she was actually um, she trained up over seventy five thousand women entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she trained Madam C J Walker in to in nineteen oh five, and Madam C J Walker became a a Poro agent because that was the name of her college Poro College. She built this beautiful building in St. Louis, Missouri, uh, four stories high. It looks, uh, I, have a, I have an original book that people can get off Amazon if they go to parocollege.com. And Paro College, it's just very simple. The word, first word is four letters, Paro, P as in Paul, O as in Ocean, R as in Ralph, O as in Ocean, Paro, like P-O-R-O, college.com. And uh, uh, they'll see this building, and then you also see a booklet that uh, she she published back in 1926. And a part of my Black History collection, yeah, I have an original one of those 1926 booklets. There's very few of them around. And when you, when you open up the booklet, the first thing you start looking at is how incredible this building is. It's like it's straight. Uh, if I just showed you a picture of uh, some of the rooms, you would swear it's it's out of Wall Street, New York. And uh, and this particular uh, building was uh, a building where she trained up, uh, as I mentioned, uh, over 75,000 women entrepreneurs uh, who she gave cash awards to for saving accounts or home purchases. She gave a diamond ring to them after after five years of service. Her, her philanthropy toward them and toward others was legendary. Um, and and uh, this building is is just. It's just an incredible place that she created for this. She owned a whole city block in Chicago. She paid, imagine this, 1926 alone, she paid over $40,000 in taxes. Just think about that. Amazing. One of the first Amazing. people in the entire state of Missouri to own a Rolls Royce. And, well, uh, now, well, who was actually the very first self-made female African American millionaire. Was well, it I, Annie Malone, or was it? I mean, not that it, you know, is uh, something we should, you know, compare <laughs> on any level. But I'm just curious because uh, I, I've always grown up thinking it was Madam C. J. Walker, with all of her, well, you know, things and, and accomplishments. Yeah, from all the re- the uh, research I've done, uh, if I were a betting man, and I'm not a, a gambling man, but if I were, I'd put. I'd, I'd bet the farm that Annie Malone was the first millionaires of uh, African descent, uh, women, female millionaires in the country. And that's and what I'm getting. Timing. Why, how on this earth, I try to figure this out as well, how did, uh, and I love Madam, I love both. And oh, all there, things there's no comparison. They both are wonderful. Yes. Absolutely. And that's but not even part of the discussion here. Right, exactly. But how on this earth, did Madam C.J. Walker take all the things that she learned, which I'm sure was a uh, wonderful tribute to uh, Annie Malone, um, and seems that only America, it seems like we only remember 
or know of the accomplishments of the student as opposed to the teacher. I think a lot of it, a lot of it had to do with uh, Annie Malone. Uh, what happened is that uh, she ended up getting married mm-hmm. in, uh, I think it was 1924-ish, right around there. And uh, what happened is that after she got married, uh, her her husband, uh, he was not a very good man. And... Um, mm-hmm he caused such incredible problems for her uh, that uh, I just shake my head uh, and and felt that uh, he should he was due so much more than than uh, and they ended up getting divorced let me put it that way wow and, and from that point on what happened is her business became uh, she was a very if you look at her building and everything that she did uh-huh. uh, it was incredible uh, impeccable uh, you know, clean. It was um, orderly. It was. Uh, un, uh, I mean, you could see the record system she had. My my point being, is that this was an incredible person. But once after the the wedding, um, uh, then what happened is that he began to uh, sabotage everything. Uh. And so, and she never recovered. Then the IRS got involved, and uh. she never recovered from that at all. Here's, here's a college that employed in 1926 175 people with franchise outlets in, in North America, South America, Africa, the Philippines, uh, a wealthy, wealthy woman, and then at the end of her life, she pretty much dies destitute. And all that's left right now is the orphanage, the Annie Malone Orphanage, that uh, was um, a facility on Good Avenue. Uh, I don't know if you remember the song Johnny Be Good by Chuck Berry. Yes, yes, yes. He of grew course. up on Good Avenue, right around the corner. And mm. that's that's where the spelling Johnny Be Good, G-O-O-D-E, in the song, it comes from that Good Avenue. All this time, I thought it was just Johnny Be Good, G-O-O-D. So yeah, <laughs> G-O-O-D-E. If you look it up on the Internet, you'll see it's that's how it's spelled. Wow. And, uh, and he later became a beautician under the Poro system. He graduated in 1952 because he, he thought the music thing wasn't going to work. And so he became a beautician. And, of course, his song uh, songs just took off. And, um, uh, you know, he, he never went back to it. But uh, Right, right. Amazing. So, okay, well, that explains a, a great deal for us on that. Because I was, I was just curious. I'm really sad to understand that uh, she had that kind of a, ending. But you know what? Um, I always like to remind folks, uh, and it always seems to me uh, that it's always those who are incredibly talented and creative, and they always uh, attract a certain kind of the opposite, if you will. I, I don't know. It just it just seems very strange to me. But uh, anyway, Some that's... Some people I make great personal choices and bad business yeah, choices, and other people right. make bad business it's the bad opposite, personal exactly. choices. Exactly. <laughs> Good personal choice. Yeah, that's know, amazing. Crazy. Exactly. Well, listen, thank you so much. This is great. Folks, if you've just joined us, we have really been kind of getting a great uh, education, a great understanding um, of so many historical uh, elements and things that we, you know, we kind of knew a little bit about or we kind of heard about. And some of us have read some things, but not others. Um, so we're so excited to have the gentleman behind the Freeman Institute, 
He is the founder, CEO, and president, uh, Dr. Joel Freeman, and he's with us today. And uh, this is just, I'm still uh, kind of stuck on the 3,000, uh, <laughs> more than 3,000 pieces that you have <laughs> in the Black History Collection. Um, I, I can't wait to come and see that. So um, I'm very, very excited. Um, oh, thank I'm you so much. I'm very excited about it. Sure. So this is just wonderful. Um, and we're going to tell the folks again, um, why don't you do that, Dr. Freeman? Tell the folks how they can reach you how they can find out the items that they really need to focus on on some of these. I mean, you have quite a bit of uh, information. Well, I think if if people can go to uh, blackhistorycollection.com, blackhistorycollection.com, and then at the very bottom of the page is all of my contact information. And uh, so then I'd be very happy to talk with them if they want to order uh, a book, uh, a film version of the book, Return to Glory, the entrepreneurship book, uh, anything at all, uh, or just want to talk, uh, maybe about something in there that they have a collection or a few pieces and they're wondering about it, I'd be very happy to talk with people. And so uh, that's probably the best way, blackhistorycollection.com. Uh, well, uh, we're going to, of course, uh, stay on top of all of this and bring you back, Dr. Freeman. You have we're going to keep, uh, we're, we've got you now, uh, and there's a whole lot of this that we're going to delve into on a regular basis because uh, this is something that's so critical and important for us to have a greater understanding about, and I feel so honored and lucky right now. I feel so lucky that uh, I've been able to come across your information. Uh, I'm just uh, very grateful. Now, I have to say, uh, you know, just uh, before we close out, I had um, mentioned this at the top of the interview. Uh, I just love your – I love the quotes that you've assembled. I don't know who wrote them, but I just love them. One of them uh, – one of the – you know, and these are just a couple of them that I just said, oh, wow, how great. Uh, patience is not waiting. It's how you act while you're waiting. That's one <laughs> – I love that. And uh, I think that says so much. And uh, my other favorite that I seem to have just picked up uh, again from looking at, you know, I started at freemaninstitute.com, and I saw this, and it's like a, age doesn't always bring wisdom. Sometimes age comes alone. <laughs> so I just love that. Uh, that says it all. So I want to just say you are just uh, extraordinary. So uh, you know what you People are. Say I'm, You're I'm an expert in this or that. I'm not an expert. I'm just a student, and so I'll always be a student, learning. Wow. Uh, you know, like someone once said that um, you can't you can't learn with your mouth open. You know, you right. just uh, it's just more of a situation. Uh, you know, you just really want to. I'm always someone that I want to just learn. You know, because generally speaking, you aren't learning much when your lips are moving, and so. Uh, uh, I just well, want to be a person who listens at least twice as much than I than I speak. I Although I, I did a lot more speaking today than than I well, that's than I okay. Like to do. <laughs> that's that's exactly what I was about to say. It's okay <laughs> when your lips are speaking when they're educating so many people, countless folks who need to hear what you have to say. So I am so grateful, and and uh, 
Now, are you on social media? We need to uh, find out. What we, are you on social media at all? I'm on uh, Facebook. I've got about 16 pages. In fact, there's a, a page called Black History Collection. It's the only one on Facebook. Got over 10,000 followers on that. And got some very, very cool stuff on that. And then, of course, well, you're my about name. to have 10,001. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it's Black History Collection right on the uh, Facebook page. And then, sure. of course, I have my own personal Facebook page. And I'd love to connect with anybody. And then I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter and uh, who knows about me and all okay. that kind of stuff that's out there. So we can find you. Okay. Well, I, yeah. I'm going to have you back, as I said, right here on the Hair Radio Morning Show. Well, do you have any closing uh, thoughts? Uh, you've been so uh, kind to just share your, your perspective on, on all of this and just someone who uh, has done so much. Do you have any uh, closing thoughts or words of inspiration or encouragement? Well, I do. I think, speaking of the hair and beauty industry, you know, I, I just see how uh, Asians have pretty much taken over, and I'm not mad at them. I think they just took advantage of a situation that was open and available. I've developed a 10-year plan on how uh, African-Americans can take back the, uh, uh, the hair care and beauty industry, uh, starting from the top down and the bottom up. And I think Annie Malone figures very uh, much into this. I would love to see this booklet get into every beauty parlor, every uh, beauty salon, every uh, hair, uh, barbershop in the country, and have people learn about Annie Malone. And then I'd like to see uh, the, the most senior people in the hair care beauty industry from the old guard companies and the new guard companies come together in the first year, not even deal with business things, just be develop relationships to take a look at the elephants in the room, to, to, to walk through all of that, to deal with that, and then have a united, uh, just not a united front necessarily, even though that's important, but united, uh, just be united and to really become good friends and understand how important this is. And then the, in the second year, start developing manufacturing and then distribution. And little by little, I think that there's a whole willing audience built around Annie Malone's story that could be wide open because people will not buy black just for the sake of buying black. They want to buy something that is a good price, that's easy, easily available, it is distributed well, is manufactured well, and um, you know you, you just check all the boxes off, and then someone will say, ah, okay, okay, now I'll buy whatever that product is. If it happens to be black, that's what I'm talking about: is to create a whole industry. That can uh, that, that can because without the cons if you if the consumers are, in, are are trained and understand what's going on, I think and then they, there's a product and manufacturing and distribution all set up in place to deliver it. Uh, I think that uh, within 10 years the whole industry can turn around and it can become something that's well within the African American community. But I think Annie Malone is the key for all of this. Well, I just want to remind the folks, and the book that you're talking about, exactly the title and and how we can get our hands on the, it's, that it's book Madam, again. Madam Walker's Role Model. It can be found on Amazon, eBay, but if they go to if someone goes to Paro College, P O R O, Paul Ocean, Ralph Ocean, ParoCollege.com, com, they can see how to order it. And uh, I think it's such an important piece of history, 
you know, uh, Carrie, I reached out to the top, the leaders in the hair care beauty industry and only found two or three that even knew who Annie Malone was. And I said, exactly. I said you know, that, yeah. that, that this is an important thing for people to learn about her so then they can begin to uh, reanimate her legacy. Well, I'll tell you something. It starts today. Dr. Freeman, I want to thank you again for being our very special guest right here on the Hair Radio Morning Show. Uh, we're going to have you back to kind of, you know, uh, continue this wonderful conversation. I think it was a great start, and you've helped to peel back just a little bit for us. And uh, we've, got, uh, we've got some work to do. We've got some work to do, so uh, we're going to have you back. Well, listen, I want to thank you again, and, uh, and you, please remain on the line, Dr. Freeman. I'm going to close us out here, and uh, okay. we're going to chat. All right, folks, uh, keep it right here. There's a whole lot more of the Hair Radio Morning Show to come. Thanks so much, Dr. Freeman.
are you a stylist, barber, nail tech, or involved in personal care on any level? Are you good at what you do? I bet you are. And as being as good as you are, that leaves you less time to handle your clients. I mean as far as booking appointments, product sales, pricing, and all that. Well, I have something that will help you on that end and still allow you to be great. ChairWatch. It's a new mobile booking platform that allows your client direct access to you. It allows them to book, change, cancel appointments, place themselves on standby, buy products, and even be able to send you direct messages. And that is just a taste of all the services that ChairWatch provides. Sounds good? Then check it out at ChairWatch.com. Or you can download the app via the Apple Store or Google Play. ChairWatch, a new and better way to connect with your clients. You're listening to the all-new Hair Radio Morning Show with Carrie Hines. Stay tuned. Trying to start a hair industry business and need help? We've got you covered. Listen to brand new episodes of our original radio series, Hairpreneurs, right here on the Hair Radio Morning Show. I would like to welcome you all to a delicious place to eat. We call this La Luz Cafe. Radio Morning Show. I'm Carrie Hines. Now, I have two very special guests joining us today. Well, they're from the world of education. It is my honor to welcome back to the show Dr. Joel A. Freeman and, and welcoming for the very first time, Dr. Walter Milton, Jr. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning and welcome. Welcome to the Hair Radio Morning Show. Good morning. We are honored to be with you this morning. Yes. Awesome. Thank you, Carrie. We're, we love being here and uh, looking forward to our time together. Absolutely. Well, listen, I want to kind of jump right on in. Uh, 
Dr. Freeman, we're going to kick off with you. Uh, you were kind enough to help us kind of launch the Hair Radio Morning Show five years ago, literally hundreds of episodes of this broadcast ago. And uh, we're so excited because many of our listeners, you've touched folks around the world with your story. And so uh, we're going to remind everybody about that, but I just wanted to officially welcome you back to the broadcast and and uh, how we were able to use that wonderful, wonderful interview as a great uh, foundation for pushing us forward, and we're still here today. I think that's a big part of that, so thank you. Well, I'm very thrilled at uh, what you're doing and how you've done it, your integrity, uh, your stick-to-itiveness, and uh, it, it just, it's just an inspiration to all of us. Wonderful. Well, listen, uh, again, welcome to the show. And now I have to turn also to uh, Dr. Walter Milton, Jr., uh, you are from the Rochester, New York area, and you are, when I tell you, I was just blown away at your story when I started to, to do some research, um, school superintendent for years, literally, office. yes, uh, so education, <laughs> to put it mildly, is important, um, so Dr. Milton, I have to get in there. What, uh, you know, where did this come from, this whole, uh, you know, this journey uh, that you are on, that you've been on? And it's, I'm going to call it a track, I think. You know, so where did this come from in terms of uh, jumping into the education or on the education uh, wagon, I should say? Well, you know, I had uh, two teachers that impacted my life in ways in which you can, one can never imagine. Um, I had a teacher by the name of uh, Adam Urbanski. He was a, uh, a gentleman from Poland, and he talked about history. He was my, one of my high school history teachers, and he taught history in a way that you can only fall in love with it. And he talked about the movers and shakers of history, the carriers of information, and how we have to learn to deconstruct things and find ourselves in the, in the whole cloak of history. So he planted a major seed in me. Then I had a science teacher. Her name was Cassandra Frierson. And Cassandra Frierson said that I'm part of a history that goes all the way back to the beginning of time. And I, and I was so glad to meet her because I had an experience in elementary school that my teacher attempted to teach black history, but she started off in slavery. And what happened, it had ushered so much shame and humiliation for me. So that early, those early years of my life, I was on this quest to find out some truths in history and where I played a role. And Dr. Frierson, or Cassandra Frierson, she said that my past is inexplicably tied to the beginning of time. And so... Um, as a result of those two individuals, I went into education, became a teacher, a principal, and then a school superintendent, and decided to step down and start my own company, and then it happened again. And when it happened this time, I said, I'm going to take action. When this whole quest and this desire and this love and passion for history came out, I said, I'm going to, came back to me, I said, I'm going to do something about it. So Joel Freeman was the first person that I've called. Joel is, has been a close friend of mine for many years, 
and I know that he is the curator of, uh, of many uh, African African American artifacts. And I said, Joel, would you would you go on this journey with me, man? And he didn't hesitate. Um, here we are, uh, two and a half, almost three years later, with a final product, a finished product, rather. And our goal is to share our love letter uh, to the world. I mean, this is our divine purpose and our mission as to why we exist. And that is the reason that you guys are here today. And that is to introduce us to this amazing new book. And I'm going to have to thank you, Dr. Milton, for that. I'm going to have to turn now uh, to Dr. Freeman. I'm going to ask you, Dr. Joel A. Freeman, first of all, again, welcome to the show. And just want to uh, say um, we are going to turn to you to talk about uh, this amazing new book. We want to make sure and get that on out there, Black History, An Inclusive Account of American History. Tell us about this book. Yes. Um, as as uh, Dr. Milton mentioned, it's a labor of love. It's uh, 1,248 pages, weighs five and a half pounds, has uh, well over 2,500 images throughout, and um, about 500 of those images come straight from um, the collection my wife and I own. Uh, we own over 3,000 items. Uh, documents and artifacts. Uh, the oldest piece dates back to 1553. Wow. And so uh, we have uh, put together, Walter and I, uh, put, uh, as he mentioned, we worked for about two and a half years, putting in 12, 16-hour days and working, I'm telling you, it was, it was just like Groundhog Day every day, uh, just working at it and uh, uh, and then going to sleep and uh, working some more the next day and just uh, day after day. So it it was just um, uh, both of us look at it right now and just go, we don't even know how it happened except uh, God's fingerprints are all over it. And we started in ancient Africa. And the reason why we started in ancient Africa is because we did not, not want to reinforce the notion either implicitly or explicitly that uh, slavery was the beginning of uh, black history. We wanted to talk about the mores, the folkways, uh, the hunting, the gathering, the fishing, the industry, the agriculture, the ancient African kingdoms that transcend the current geopolitical lines. And uh, now, now we're ready for the good, the bad, and the ugly of the last four centuries. And even when we get into slavery and the slave trade, we, uh, we discuss, we have a whole section just about slave rebellions. <clears throat> we talk about the trickery used. And we have store, actual stories of how people were tricked into uh, coming on the, on the ship and, or to be kidnapped <clears throat> to get on the ship. So it, uh, it just, um, we wanted to give a, a whole different view uh, about this that uh, is not normally given, at least that, that we could find. And then there's a gentle timeline that takes us all the way through to the struggle for civil rights. <clears throat> we then... Um, once we have um, included that, then we get into the, the whole area of uh, the economic system. <clears throat> we talk about arts, entertainment. Um, we have a section on, on uh, sports, black quarterbacks, uh, the integration of the NBA. And then we have a whole section on uh, uh, 50, 50 states. And it's uh, where we we provide some insights into black history in each state. So whatever state 
uh, a a listener is from, there will be some specific um, uh, just a showcasing of what has happened in their particular state. Then the final, um, the final unit is all about the North Star. Uh, it's, it's over 100 pages where we have a timeline from 1491 on <clears throat> that, de- that describes all that happened, their interaction between the United States and Canada. And then we, uh, uh, we, we tell stories, we share stories from mid-1800s, from a book called Refugees, uh, that uh, a gentleman by the name of uh, Benjamin Drew went north, and he interviewed a lot of people, and then he put 114 stories, their uh, their life stories, into the book. And so uh, in in our textbook, we we start in, in Vancouver all the way over to Halifax, Nova Scotia, and everything in between. Uh, the Don Settlement with uh, Josiah Henson, and so on and so forth. So it's it's really a wonderful way to uh, show how people from the South, uh, who pro- many suffered from Stockholm syndrome, uh, many just uh, you know just the whole what how do I deal with how, how do I how does a person leave not knowing where they're they're going to be going and if they're going to get caught and maybe uh, get killed or. Um, you know, get chastised uh, in in a, in, a, in a horrific ways, and then the fugitive slave laws pushing them into Canada. So uh, we we really uh, Walter and I have put together a book that um, the response we've been getting from around the country has truly been uh, heartwarming, and uh, we are are very grateful to be the instruments uh, used to be able to help put this together. And of course, as we've expanded, uh, after the writing was done, our wives are very much par- a part of this project, and we're grateful to them. And then, uh, and also, uh, then we, uh, more people came on that helped with curriculum design, with uh, search engine optimization, uh, media relations, uh, professional development, and uh, many other aspects that helped to, we now have a team of over 75 people that have helped uh, to bring this to bear. Well, I'm going to say, uh, I think you have at least 76. I'm on board, too. Make sure and add me on in to that uh, that, uh, list. I saw that extensive, quite extensive list uh, on your site. I was, uh, you know, at bh365.org, I was quite impressed. Listen, I want to make sure I get the title right. I don't. Um, I think I just introduced it as Black History, but it's actually Black History 365, and includes correct. an account of American history. Is that correct? Yes, yes we uh, we landed on 365 because many times people view Black History Month as the the main time to talk about Black History. Uh, but we decided that this is something that is an inclusive account of American history. That, in fact, that's the subtitle. And um, we also quote from uh, a gentleman on the back cover. Uh, he's a quote on the back cover. His name is James Baldwin. He said, American history is longer, larger, more various, more beautiful, and more terrible than anything anyone has ever said about it. And that's really um, when Walter and I saw that quote. We just said that's got to be on the cover. It's because that that encapsulates what we have done. Absolutely, well, I have, absolutely. I have to say, as a matter of fact, uh, Dr. Milton, I was going to ask you 
Um, being, you know, uh, of course, uh, an educator as you are, uh, you know, and being out in the school system, how did that play a part? Because, I'm, you know, I just imagine that you were close, you know, you were real, you know, you had a real front row seat to what the, the kids needed, you know, to what the students needed to learn. So I'm going to ask you, how did that play a part or did it play a part in how you kind of, you know, decided to, to come up with this idea that you guys have, you know, worked on? Well, it played a major part. Um, what I saw in my years of education and what I still see now um, in working with school systems across the country is that there's a direct correlation with the lack of culturally competent instruction and educational approaches to the negative impact that has on student achievement. We also discovered, discovered rather, that the lack of uh, historical content has been a significant influence, sir, of uh, negative outcomes for black students and communities, including uh, lack of self-awareness, lack of self-esteem, lack of intrinsic motivation, decreased academic achievement, truancy, discipline referrals, and even some cases some criminal activity. Because what we found when our young people, not only black children but all children, when they have an understanding of who they are, where they came from, and the impact that their ancestors have made on this world, it just increases all the negative things to turn right into the positives because we make that connection. And so what we found and discovered that the world, particularly America, is begging for something like this because of the, 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 the past, our history that we have and how those things still impact us to this day. So we wanted to really look at those things. We really wanted to look at the, um, the whole impact of the incarceration uh, system and how that connected to education. And what we found is that there's this critical gap. And we believe that we have a solution uh, for this gap. Uh, one of the things that we really focus on, and Joe will probably talk about that a little later, I'll just introduce the concept, but we said we need to develop critical thinkers, compassionate listeners, fact-based, respectful communicators, and action-oriented solutions. And we believe that BH365 will serve as an impetus to make that happen and to make our world a better place here in America and to bring about a great deal of healing because we clarify things and misconceptions that we've been operating on for many years. That's just, I'm blown away. And I have to say, uh, Dr. Milton, uh, and I was really touching, I know we're here, we're going to absolutely get into every single aspect of uh, Black History 365, you guys' new book, uh, which is being used in the schools. But I have to uh, draw some attention to uh, when I came across uh, one of your earlier books uh, that talked about this. It was, the title is A Matter of Life or Death, Why Black Men Must Save Black Boys in America's Public Schools. And I know you've written a couple of books, but that was, uh, I read a little bit of the synopsis and I was just um, very impressed. So thank you uh, for all the work that you are doing, that both of you are doing on this uh, incredible, incredible topic that, believe me, even, uh, you know, I could put this on every day, you know, for years, and, and it would still just be scraping the surface of what needs to be done. But um, it's a wonderful thing to, 
to do as much research, in it, and you guys uh, can hear it. You've done a lot of research. I see the work, and it is incredible. It is absolutely incredible. So thank you both for that. Uh, thank you so uh, much. Yes, well, very much uh, welcome. Well, listen, if you guys, if you're just joining us, you're listening to the all-new Hair Radio Morning Show. I'm Carrie Hines. Uh, it's my pleasure to welcome these two incredible educators uh, to our hair radio. And, and uh, Dr. Joel A. Freeman, he's been with us before. Uh, we're so excited to welcome him back. It's been five years. And he's joined, of course, or we're joined with uh, Dr. Walter Milton, Jr., who uh, we're also excited, a New Yorker, a fellow New Yorker, uh, to the broadcast. Um, and now, Dr. Freeman, you're in Maryland area, correct? Aren't you still out in Maryland? Yes, not far from Annapolis. Okay. And, and so we have a lot to talk about because just trying to catch everybody up a little bit, and then I have some more questions for you, uh, Dr. Milton, uh, but just to kind of uh, bring everybody up to speed, Dr. Freeman, um, I recall that you started off um, early on and you were a chaplain for, wasn't it the NBA? And you did all these amazing things and just had such a, uh, uh, just a, a, I think it was, well, what seemed on that interview, just a deep understanding for folks um, at an early age. And that's what I got from that. And I was just quite impressed and went on to uh, create that whole space with, uh, with all these artifacts uh, that you have that chronicle the lives of uh, folks all the way to Africa and here. And, and so I'm just very impressed and, you know, just happy to have you here. So what can you tell us about your collection these days? Anything, of course, we've got uh, your book, which is going to be a big part of that, Black History 365. But what else can you tell us about the collection that you have uh, amassed all of this? And I know you have pictures inside the book inside of Black History 365. Yes. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's a, a big part of the book and a big part of, um, I think, the uh, contribution because it's exclusively available to the book, the, the images. There's now over 4,000 high-resolution images. Amazing. And um, anyone who tries to put together something like this without images, uh, it just, uh, I mean, it's just, uh, it's just very difficult. And what people, when we went to the printers in Ohio who uh, manufactured this book, uh, one of the young men, I don't know how long he'd been working there, but maybe uh, a decade or two or, or close, 15 years maybe, and he, we were just talking with him, and he says, yeah, he says, when I came in this morning, I thought I was working on a National Geographic project. <laughs> uh, and so um, the collection is... is uh, is made up of uh, over 3,000 items. We've done two exhibits at the United Nations. We had over a million visitors. Uh, I've done three in concert with the uh, White House. I've done two at the Clinton Presidential Library. I've done a number with Secret Service at their headquarters in D.C. and a number of other venues around the country. And it's just been um, wonderful. And I, I, when Walter called me, about this project, um, I didn't have to think about it because I knew um, intuitively that uh, you know I had been building this collection, and it's perfect for a, a curriculum <laughs> in terms of the way the types of items. I would pass over 200 items to get to that 201st item that would help tell the story. 
And so I was very selective about the items that I uh, collected and brought together. So it's kind of a unique type of collection, and um, I think when people get the textbook and they start looking at the images, especially the first two units, because uh, you know, the first two units are about ancient Africa and, and slavery and the slave trade. So I have a number of items. For instance, I have one <clears throat> item when I was in Almina Castle in, uh, on, uh, in Ghana on the, the bank, banks of, um, of, of the Atlantic Ocean. Mm-hmm. And I met with the village elders there, and they voted unanimously to donate a set of shackles, an actual set of shackles from Elmina Castle. And I was truly uh, humbled wow. and honored by that because I, I don't think they did that very often. Exactly. <laughs> and um, so those are the kinds of stories behind many of the collection, pieces of the collection. just had over 75 given uh, to me. And... and um, you know, I had to, had to acquire a lot of things myself, but this uh, gentleman, his father worked for TWA Airlines. Well, so did I. Wow. I oh, really? Yeah, small world. So, so he was responsible for all the continent of Africa back in the 40s and I wow. think the 50s, right in that range. And he had, um, of course, uh, being uh, with working in the airline and into Africa, he had many people sourcing original artifacts. We're not talking about stuff for tourists. I mean, original, like uh, doors on a chief's hut, um, you know, and, and shackles and masks and uh, figurines and all sorts of items. Well, um, his pa- dad passed away. Of course, his dad, working the airline, could ship it back to California. Sure. And when he passed away, uh, my, my friend told me, he said, I'm going to uh, make sure that, that there's a number of these that are in your collection. He had this sense of urgency, and he, pa- my friend Pat, passed away about three months ago, oh and he had this God. urgency wow. to get these items to me, and he wasn't even sick. You know, just ha- had a massive heart attack, and he wow. was gone. That's and so I, I, um, I feel very honored and, 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 and holding those items very carefully, and we have some of them pictured in the textbook in honor of him and his family. Wow. That's very nice. Uh, I have to say, um, just when I look at this amazing book, um, Black History 365, and you mentioned 1,248 pages, uh, I have to wonder about the schools. Like, how have the folks uh, received this uh, book, uh, the textbook? How uh, uh, Dr. Melton, let's ask you that. How how has it been received uh, by the teachers uh, and the students for that much? They have received the the book extremely well. Many of them are not only saying that this is for ninth through twelfth grade students. Many of them are saying this engages all ages. This should be a book that's in every household across this country, uh, in particular, and in general across the world, because it has so many um, uh, features. It really does. Um, Also, Morehouse College down in Atlanta is going to be one of the first colleges launching the textbook in January. We are also in a conversation with Hampton University in Virginia that's going to do that. And then we have had a number 
of people who have purchased personal copies of the textbook. So we believe that um, it has this book throughout the pages. It's, it's, it's a healing mechanism. I just want to quickly go back, if you can indulge me for a quick second, um, to talk about these images. And I don't know if I've ever shared this with, uh, with Joe, but it was an extremely tedious task to find the images. And he, like he said, he would go through 200 images just to get to that 201 to say, hey, this is it here. I mean, it wasn't anything that was easily done. I mean, it was arduous and it was daunting. And in some cases, I saw and felt the pain that he went through just to make sure that it was beyond excellent because the images not only tell a story, the images bring the words alive of that book. Wow. I'm just I'm blown away. I love uh, just uh, as you, you know, uh, respond to this, and, and uh, you're just painting an amazing picture of Black History 365. Now, how do folks find this book, Dr. Milton? How do folks get their hands on a personal copy or an, an edition for, you know, like you said, it should be in every household. Absolutely. Well, we're asking the world to go to bh365.org. That's bh365.org. And one of the major features that we have in the book, besides the, uh, the many QR codes, because we wanted to have a strong integration of technology, we've also embedded music in the book from award-winning Grammy, yeah, award-winning Grammy producer by the name of Dr. Kevin Cates, um, affectionately known as Kale. Uh, and Kale has developed uh, 40 songs. He's a producer for Jay-Z, T.I., Rick Ross, Drake, Snoop Dogg, and a host of others. So wow. we have an expert who has put together amazing songs, and he got the words from the text, and they are just powerful. I mean, Is they will kind of like a soundtrack for the book? Yes, yes, you can, you can definitely say that. And as Joel said, we have yeah. a Hamilton in the making. <laughs> I see. Wow. Yeah, I, I call it an anthology of black history because basically what we've done is, you know, he's, he's doing a, a song for each chapter, lifting lyrics from the, the text itself and the concepts surrounding the text. And um, so you start in ancient Africa and bring it all the way up to George Floyd, uh, you know, uh, some of the uh, things that are happening in our, our culture today. Uh, it's like ripping pages out of the, the headlines, uh, the way we've done it. And then we have an ebook version that is available, uh, and so that will allow us to even add more items, you know, as, as things happen in our culture so that we can continue to keep it updated in, in the ebook version. And that's important, right, always to make sure that, uh, you know, I keep going back to, uh, I forget whose book it was, but I like that word, living, like living history. It just keeps on going, and, um, and I love that. I have to tell you, this is uh, just amazing. We're talking with uh, the authors of this amazing book, the folks behind Black History 365, this amazing, incredible book. We're talking with Dr. Joel A. Freeman and Dr. Walter Milton, Jr., 
so we're real excited to have them with us today. Uh, 1,248 pages. This is a huge book, but it is packed with so much information and knowledge that we need. And I can't, um, I can't say it enough. I really can't. I think this is a game changer out there. Um, Dr. Freeman, why was this so necessary, though? You know, there are tons of books. Folks will say, uh, you know, I saw the books that were out there when I was in school, and those history books seem just fine. Uh, what do you say to folks who say something like that, Dr. Freeman? Well, every time there is a racially charged incident in America, there are some very smart people, um, passionate people who get on TV. You know, we affectionately call them talking heads. Right. And um, you can almost, uh, if you're doing, running a betting game, you could bet that someone's going to say, in so many words, we need to have a national conversation around uh, the topic of race relations in America. And one gets the sense that three months from now, a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, ten years from now, perhaps that same person will be saying the same thing. And, um, you know, people protest in different ways. We have comedians uh, who use comedy expertly to protest. Uh, Some write books. Some uh, will write poetry. Uh, we remember the protest songs of the 60s and uh, the protesting in rap music and, and hip-hop music. And um, some protest by uh, demonstrating, marching. The way Walter and I protest is by, coming, by putting in the two and a half years, 12, 16-hour days to come up with a solution to the education gap in America. Uh, our pr- protest is uh, we look at it in terms of solutionist, uh, a solutionist approach so that we can start these conversations. So we have something in the textbook that is proprietary to BH365. Is, uh, we have something called the elephant experience. Now, the elephant experience, and we, we could spend a whole show just talking about the elephant experience, but it's, it's a whole idea of, okay, um, uh, we have these topics that people don't like talking about. It's uncomfortable. And um, topics that uh, cause some people to talk at or past each other. Uh, some people block each other on Facebook or other types of social media. And, and so what Walter and I wanted to do is to come up with a process. Cause why an elephant? You know, connection with Africa. Hey, there's an elephant in the room. Uh, probably your favorite joke in second grade was... Um, uh, hey, uh, how do you eat an elephant? <laughs> one spoonful at a time, one bite at a time. So there has to be a process, a schema, a, a methodology for dealing with the elephant. And then, of course, the hippocampus of an elephant is extremely large, and uh, their EQ matches and rivals that uh, of chimpanzees and some species of dolphins. So we, it has to be something that's sticky, something that is... Um, uh, that, that engages, not just momentarily, but for the long term. So that's what we did. Is we, uh, so topics such as three-fifths of a human being, Uncle Tom, the N-word, reparations, uh, are we in a post-racial society after having a black president for two terms? Uh, do we, um, uh, can a white person ever truly understand the black experience in America? Um, uh, scientific racism, lynching, and uh, should we tear the statues down, things like that, topics like that that uh, 
we have a certain process that is a healing process, not a divisive process, where students can uh, be, where we have professional development uh, uh, trainers that train the teachers in setting the environment so the students can create an environment that allows for these topics to be dealt with in a way that um, is beneficial. And where there are, are where there's a, um, a binary choice, we have QR codes that provide the pro and the con, you know, the for and against of views. And so it, it invites people outside of their confirmation bias bubbles and uh, and gets them into a realm where they, they, they begin to see the other side and or at least hear the other side. And then uh, using the Socratic method, the students engage around it and come up with individual or perhaps even collective understanding about something. So it's it's a uh, why you know to get back to your original question, the need for something like this, and the response we're getting from uh, principals, from educators, from superintendents, from people who have uh, from you know historians. I was talking with a historian the other day, and he was saying he's up to page five, page five hundred already oh, wow. <laughs> in the textbook, wow. and uh, and he was saying that he was just delighted. He said, "Oh my goodness, he's checking out the QR codes, he's engaging with it, and he just said, I just cannot believe a resource like this is finally available. This is what I've been talking about all my life, and a resource like this. Absolutely. So, um, wow. you know, when it comes to um, the distinctives." We believe that um, we have something that is very uniquely crafted. It's, um, it's designed for healing. It's truth-centric. It's, um, you know, it, it has, has the music attached to it. It has QR codes, so it's engaging with technology. Uh, we started in ancient Africa, so we're not reinforcing implicitly or explicitly the notion that black history started slavery. So we, get, we bring all these elements together that we've discussed and we, um, uh, we brought it into one textbook. Now, uh, you know, we're also planning to create a K, K through 8. So K2, 3, 5, 6, 8 grade bands. Those, those are coming. And uh, we're using the 9 through 12 textbook, which, by the way, engages all ages. Uh, we're using that backbone information to then con be contextualized in the 6 through 8, uh, 3 through 5, and K through 2. Uh, program. So now, getting back to what I was, how I started this response, now we're starting to get people to, to kids to start talking about the tough topics in a contextualized manner from kindergarten on. And hopefully, we'll be able to measure results with the, the students, the teachers, and perhaps even the parents. And, uh, you know, three years from now, five years, tw 12 years from now, to see what kind of impact this can have on our society that is so polarized politically, and to really get people to engage using, coming through the lens and the gateway of history, which an inclusive account of a history, so that we can uh, somehow see uh, healing happen in our, in, our, in our country. I totally agree. I was thinking as you were just uh, explaining that, I'm thinking to myself as well, uh, you know, that's the thing. Uh, we're all, you know, when we look back at how when we were in school and taught history, uh, and it really does, I, I hate to say, but it really, that's kind of where you, what you get is, you know, uh, you know, for black history, anything that's relating to 
to black culture is usually starting with uh, slavery. And so I so appreciate uh, what you have just described in Black History 365. I so appreciate it because uh, just to be able to uh, connect back to Africa and um, and just see a place in, you know, how, you know, uh, folks of uh, black descent, just African descent, rather, just figure into everything. So it's, um, it's, 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 it's amazing to me. And I have, uh, I'm kind of uh, blown away just to talk to you about it. So I'm excited for folks to get their hand on Black History 365. It is important. It's an important, important book. So, uh, so what else is there out there? You and Dr. Milton, as you mentioned, there is music involved in all of this as well. Can I get my hands on some of this so I can play some of those songs on the Hair Radio Morning Show? We'd love to get some of yes. those uh, some of those uh, music files over here. That well, it's awesome. it's probably the music is so good, and I can't wait till you hear it. And I think that uh, maybe uh, Joe um, and I could send you a demo copy for your for your Absolutely. ears only. Um, okay. Because it's going through the process of being produced and recorded, and and so we're going through all the legal aspects yes, of that. But in the meantime, yes, yeah, you, you, we can give you something that you can look forward to coming out. And uh, I think that we would love to have you once uh, we get the green light to play it on yeah. your show because it's going to it's going to be a Grammy um, award producing. Um, uh, uh, set of music, and I give all the accolades to God first, but I give them to Ko, um, who was used by God to do this to, to do this work. I mean, the music is incredible, and as the kids say, it is highly dope. <laughs> so, <laughs> awesome! So awesome. I think that um, yeah, you're gonna love it. You really are, and you know, Joel and I are just so honored that you that you allowed us to be here today to share this one of the most passionate things in our lives, you know, you know, black history. And uh, Joel talked about us being utilized as a vessel. You know, we had many moments that we worked throughout the day, and we'll talk, you know, how do we get here? How do we do this? How did, where did this come from? And we just know that this was all divinely inspired. It really was. Absolutely. Well, I have to say, I want to just uh before we close out on this part today, I, I definitely want to just make sure everybody is aware of, again, how to get their hands on Black History 365, your website. Uh, please give us that again. Um, you know, Dr. Freeman, Dr. Milton, uh, please tell everybody how to get their hands on this amazing book. Yes, black, or excuse me, bh365.org, bh 365.org. Okay, and that is just awesome. And uh, we're real happy about that. Yes, indeed. And also, um, just to let everybody know that you guys, this is not the end of Black History 365 on the Hair Radio Morning Show. Um, I'm so happy and honored that you guys are here. Uh, You know, we're announcing uh, right now uh, just an interview arc where we're going to have a few shows at this time, and then we're going to roll out something long-term uh, uh, that kind of uh, can, you know, take parts of this amazing book. We're going to say Black History 365 is the name, 
and uh, we're going to cover it a little bit more in depth. We wanted to just kind of do a quick introduction, if you will, and talk about some of the things that uh, are uh, inside of this amazing book. And I've got to tell you, um, we're going to be able to get into some of, before I let you guys go today, um, we're going to tease this because I want to get your opinion um, of, you know, of, of things that are happening today and how you can tie them to uh, Black History 365, Black History 365, and I know that you can. Um, and we're going to have that um, a little later for you guys, or we'll put it on our website as well. So that's just a nice little tidbit that we'll get into uh, a little later. But first, um, again, I want to thank you. Uh, before we go, uh, Dr. Freeman, why don't we start with you? Is there any last thoughts or anything you want to kind of uh, close out this portion uh, today of our interview? Uh, anything you want to leave us with? Like those amazing sayings that you used to have. <laughs> you used to give us all these <laughs> wonderful sayings that I always love. Yeah, anything that you want to tell us today. <laughs> Well, I think that uh, the main thing I wanted that comes to my mind right now is that uh, this this textbook is transcendent. You know, as we say in the in the subtitle, an an inclusive account of American history. Inclusive. And so uh, the whole idea of the term inclusive, I want everyone who's listening to realize that this is uh, an opportunity to engage uh, all ethnicities and um, ages, you know, in terms of young and older generations, uh, different backgrounds. Some are more, come from more urban areas and some come from more rural areas. Uh, socioeconomic aspects. Uh, we've tried to in be included, include everything. Plus, uh, when it comes to STEAM or STEM, you know, science, technology, uh, engineering, and I like to put in arts and then M for mathematics. We, we've we've um, provided different theme. aspects. <laughs> Sorry? No, I was saying yours is STEAM, not just STEM. Uh, <laughs> yeah, STEAM, <I> like that. <laughs> that's right, STEAM. Uh, there's STEM and STEAM, and I, I prefer STEAM. <laughs> but um, it's so, so if people are looking for this to engage on all aspects, um, you know, we have some very interesting topics. Uh, I was talking with someone just uh, recently, and, and uh, she was saying that... Uh, she says, "Well, I'm I'm a I'm an educator," and she said, uh, "My re my response to this once I started looking at it is I don't really know that much, <laughs> and I don't I didn't we don't want that to be the takeaway, but we want it to be the incentive that when people approach this topic, you know, and we talk about the Great Migration to the North and then to the West, you know, that it, all the different topics, uh, the Harlem Renaissance, and we even have a whole section in there, Carrie, that I think you'll love." Is is what about taking back the hair care and beauty industry? Oh, well, that's coming um, and, up in our uh, next segment. <laughs> <laughs> we have a whole I, section I on that I'd in the that textbook. On you a little later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, that's that's on my mind. That's all. It's uh, the inclusive nature of the textbook. Walter. Well, yeah, I just wanted to board. say no. we didn't have an opportunity to talk about um, our advisory board but hopefully we can do that next time we uh, come back on. We have incredible people like Kathy Hughes, um, Benjamin Crump. Um, we oh, have, all my uh, favorite Ag folks. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Agabriar uh, Bryson, the 
grandson, of, I mean, great grand nephew of uh, Annie Malone. Yeah. You'll know yeah. Annie Malone. Joel has done a lot of extensive work regarding her and a host of other wonderful people. But I want to leave with um, celebrating you, Carrie, because I know that ah. you bring so many people, you give so many accolades, you know, through your work. But I want to give you an accolade. You know, just ah. my short time of knowing you and hearing you and hearing about you and uh, researching you as well, you are truly a merchant of hope. You carry hope in the, for, for so many people's lives, you know, and I can hear that hope in your voice, your heart, your soul, and your spirit, and I just want to wish you the best always. That's very kind. Thank you very much. It means a lot. I appreciate that, and I have to tell you, when I hear those names and you know, uh, Kathy Hughes, she's been my, you know, starting out in radio and being one of my favorite folks in radio. And back when I didn't see many folks who are uh, African-American uh, doing that and just being such a, a big uh, forerunner out there, um, I'm just blown away. And, and, and Benjamin Crump has been on my show. He's been on our broadcast just like you guys. And so I had a chance to chat with him, of course, and and uh, even uh, uh, Akbar, I think uh, the gentleman, he's uh, chatted with him as well. So, and Annie Malone, all of this comes full circle. So I just have to say um, I'm blown away. And again, uh, I want to thank you guys personally. Uh, this book is important, Black History 365. The website is bh365.org. You need to get a copy of this book. And we're going to make sure that you do that. And uh, if you need to be put in touch, and I've got to say this last thing, uh, Dr. Freeman, I have to say, I had told everybody, I'd put it out on Facebook that uh, you were coming back to the show, and I posted all this about uh, Black History 365, the book and the picture and all of that. And my brother, uh, Dr. Leroy Hines, who the listeners out there know, he's been with us many times, he's a trained economist, and all of this, he's deep in uh, history, uh, studying all of this. And he rarely, uh, you know, pipes up to ask me about anything. Uh, you know, he sees my radio show, uh, you know, guests from time to time. This was the only time he said, you must introduce me to Dr. Friedman. He didn't know about you at wow. that time, Dr. Milton. <laughs> no, I'm okay. I'm okay. He's, he's, and I said, <laughs> I, I kid you not, he said to make sure. So I said, well, when I speak with you, I'm going to get your permission, but I'm going to introduce him to you guys because I think that uh, he's, um, Dr. Leroy Hines, he's been out there, and as I said, the listeners know, uh, he always comes on and gives us all kind of, uh, you know, in terms of current affairs and all that wonderful good stuff. But I have to say, I think uh, I think uh, he's definitely, you guys definitely are going to have a great time. That's all I can say. This is that's amazing work. So thank you so much. And you guys out there are going to have to stay tuned for the next part of this uh, episodal arc uh, with these amazing guys. Again, it's my pleasure to thank Dr. Joel A. Freeman and Dr. Walter Milton, Jr. for being part of uh, this broadcast today. Again, the book is Black History 365. Thank you, gentlemen, for being with us. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. All right. Stay uh, with us. Hi, I'm Carrie Hines. I want to shout out to superstar hairstylist, industry legend, and my friend, Troy Ballard a.k.a. Smooth Black of Smooth Black Inc. He's a hair biz educator, entrepreneur, and yes, he's known for coloring, cutting, and complete hair care services for the whole family. And now, you can hear him right here on Wednesday mornings. 
live at 8.30 Eastern, all the way from Southern California. Now he's sharing a few trade secrets and so much more, right here on the Hair Radio Morning Show. Stay tuned. Now you can listen to our 24-7 Hair Radio broadcast network and shop all in the same place. Go to HairRadio.com. We've got around-the-clock hair and beauty radio talk. And while you're there, buy your favorite books, hair products, tickets to live hair and beauty events, and much more. And if you'd like to feature your products in our HairRadio.com website store or be a guest on the Hair Radio Broadcast Network, contact us at HairRadio.com and reach the world. You're listening to the Hair Radio Morning Show. I'm Carrie Hines. I have a very special guest joining us. Now, she's from the world of nutrition. The Hair Radio Morning Show would like to welcome Jackie. Good morning, and welcome to the broadcast. Good morning. Good morning, Carrie. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Now, I do want to clarify. You're not just nutrition. You are actually all about healthy living. You have to tell us more about it. Yes, I mean, I do like to cook, and that's part of the um, some of the things that I like to do, um, jack rabbit plant-based cooking. But I also just like to talk about healthy living as well. You know, I want to be able to share some things with your audience and, you know, about uh, healthy living. I want to be able to introduce, you know, uh, nutrition. I want to talk about exercise, water, sunshine, temperance, air, and rest. And, you know, just trusting in the divine power and how important all of this is uh, regarding our health and our nutrition. So it's just a whole gamut of things, you know. Eating right, nutrition is the number one thing, but there's other things that we need to be doing that we need to uh, incorporate in our lives each and every day. And what are some of those other things, too, that we should be doing? Some of those things that we should be doing outside of nutrition is, you know, we should be exercising every day. And when we think about exercise, we don't necessarily have to think about it as something uh, like, you know, having a membership at a gym. It can be something as simple as walking every day, which is probably the best thing that, you know, we can do as far as exercise, you know, because we're stretching when we exercise. We're moving our limbs when we exercise, you know. We're getting sunshine, which is part of that, um, you know, staying healthy. Uh, we're going to intake some water because, you know, we, we, we need that hydration and um we need rest, and so in order to get that uh, exercise in, we need to learn how to properly, you know, rest our bodies. You know, you know we need to properly. Mm-hmm. No, that was just, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, oh, okay. To, yes. Well, what I'm getting from all of this, uh, Jackie, is that for me, I look at making a big pizza pie, <laughs> and okay. each slice represents one of these things that you've just mentioned right here. And um, and if you remove it, then it's missing a piece of that, that pie. It doesn't incorporate the whole pie. Somebody's ate a slice, basically. So you mm-hmm. want to really start to focus on pulling everything together, and, and I think this is just Thank awesome. And I want to back it up a little yeah. bit. Um, you know, for our listeners out there, let's just let folks know, you will be joining the lineup right here on the Hair Radio Morning Show, I'm proud to say. So it's really great to have you coming on board to share these uh, regular segments on healthy living 
And again, healthy living incorporates so much. It's not not just one one little slice. Pardon the pun. You know, it, it incorporates so many things as you've just pointed out. So, Jackie, I kind of want to back up a little bit. Let's kind of start with this. Tell the folks where you are based out of. How did you become a, a healthy living czar? How did you? How did all this happen? Where? How did this all start for you? Okay, sure. Well, I'm based out of Minnesota, and um, it all started back when I was probably, I was, let's just say 16, because 16 is when I gave up beef meat, and I've always had an interest in uh, healthy living. And so, you know, as the years go by and as you get older, you realize, you know, I need these things as a part of my life in order to, you know, live the best that I can in my best life. And so that's kind of how it all got started, you know, just me stopping eating beef and then just, you know, doing reading and just, you know, trying to cook and just live, you know, healthy. And well, what made, talking... you give up, what made you give up the beef at 16? Well, um, uh, years ago, uh, my mother had gone to uh, a place where – she was learning on nutrition and health. And so she came back and she talked to us about it, and I think I just decided, you know, not to eat beef anymore. I never was a big meat eater growing up anyway because it, I just didn't like the texture. You know, some of us are texture eaters, you know, like say, for an example, some people just hate tofu because it's just too soft. And so I just do not. <laughs> I'm an, I'm raising my hand right now in case you didn't know that out there. Right. So, you know, texture sometimes has a lot to do with things as far as mm. why we eat things, why we don't eat things. But, yeah, so I just decided to give up beef and, you know, just reading things about beef and knowing that it wasn't really the best, you know, meat for us at that time. So I figured if I was going to start somewhere, let me start with the beef. And we never ate pork, so my next meat would have been beef. Mm-hmm. Wow, that is just interesting. So I I find this really fascinating, and I think that the fans out there, and you guys, you'll be able to pass along whatever questions you have for Jackie, who uh, will be talking about this uh, with her Healthy Living segment right here on the Hair Radio Morning Show each week. Now, I want to be clear. So your your 30-minute uh, show within a show will be starting soon on our network. So we're going to keep you guys out there informed so that you'll know when to tune in. And until then, you can reach out to Jackie right through our Salon TV Network app here at Hair Radio, So, um, which is just awesome. You can download the app at the Google Play Store, Salon TV Network, and you'll be able to connect with uh, Jackie through that. Now, I'm excited about this Jack Rabbit Eats. So this is the wonderful healthy living segment that is going to be plant-based cooking. Now, Jack, i got to ask you, Jackie, what's the name Jack Rabbit all about? <laughs> the listeners would let, never let me live it down if I didn't ask you the name Jack Rabbit. So what is that all about? Well, I'm glad you asked that, Carrie, because, uh, you know, it's just my name is Jackie, as I mentioned, and uh, I'm the youngest of uh, six children, and so my family called me Jack Rabbit, and so that was a nickname that was given to me by my dad. So when I decided to do plant-based cooking, it had nothing to do with the fact that rabbits, you know, they don't (laughs) eat meat, nothing at all. It was just fitting for the fact that 
I eat plant-based, you know. And so that's where the name Jack Rabbit Eats Plant-Based Cooking uh, comes from. So it's just a family nickname, and I just incorporated it into what I like to do. Well, it gets no better than that. That was just the divinity of it all. I just think it's amazing. It really is. Well, listen, I... I am excited to have you here on the network, as I mentioned. What would you like to uh, see yourself bringing to this whole piece of the pie? And why did you want to come to our network? Share that with everybody. Well, I just wanted to uh, be able to um, relate a message out there regarding healthy living and just Mm. let people know that it's nothing, you know, really hard to do. It's something that, yeah, we have to try to do every day, you know, regardless whether it's eating right or nutrition, whether it's exercising, whether it's drinking enough water or, you know, making sure we get enough sunshine, you know. I just want people to live their best life and live as healthy as you possibly can because I think it's just very important for us as, um, you know, as people in this world. It it just gives us clarity in our thinking. Um, it, It just introduces us to an awesome way of, uh, you know, just being healthy and sharing that healthiness with others and, you know, and just being happy. And when we're happy, we want to share things. I mean, I do. I like to share things with people when it makes me happy and makes me feel good. Awesome. can say it no better than that. Well, listen, I want to thank you so much. Uh, did you have anyone you want to shout out to before we sign off? Uh, sure. I want to give a shout out to my family, you know, my husband who has uh, – been behind me with this and who has encouraged me to go ahead and do this, uh, Michael. I want to give a shout-out to my sister, Alicia, who has also encouraged me to, uh, you know, to step out there, get out of my comfort zone. And uh, just just anybody that I know, I can't call everybody by name, but just know that I love you and that if you're listening to this broadcast, I hope that it brings you inspiration and I hope it brings you encouragement. It gets no better than that. However, it does, because you're also going to be doing a series of videos, of cooking demonstration videos. Again, uh, plant-based, I call it healthy cooking. It's healthy living segment, and you're going to be doing a version of this exclusively for our Salon TV network. So uh, as long as you have our app, you'll be able to watch Jackie on camera Uh, leading you uh, throughout uh, your healthy living. And, again, she's going to be talking about a whole lot of wonderful things, and we just so support you, and we look so forward to all of this. Again, I want to thank you for being with us this morning on the Hair Radio Morning Show. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Terry. All right. Keep it right here. We've got a whole lot more of the Hair Radio Morning Show to come. Stay with us. And I listen every day to the Hair Radio Morning Show. This is Crystal Jones Bond, and we are celebrating the Year of the Woman on the Hair Radio Show. I don't know what time it is. Look at here. It's the Hair Morning Radio Hair Show with Terry Hines. It's your boy, Smooth Black. I just want to say, y'all, thank God for this company, y'all. Y'all better be blessed. The Hair Radio Nation going to the next level, y'all. Get it, 2021. God bless. You're listening to the all-new Hair Radio Morning Show with Carrie Hines. Stay tuned. I'm Maggie Anderson. I am the creator of The Empowerment Experiment and the author of Our Black Year. My family's 
year-long stand completely living off of Black-owned businesses. When we decided to take on this public pledge, we had no idea how hard it would be. There was only one Black-owned grocery store in all of Illinois, and that grocery store closed five months before we finished our year. Um, and I have two little girls. That means no fresh milk, no fresh meats, no fresh produce. Um, but I put them through that because we took the stand and we wanted really to do something extreme out of love for our community to expose how few black businesses there still are, to refute uh, negative stereotypes about black-owned businesses, and to expose economic injustice that still persists in America. After the year, I decided that I could not go back to corporate. I could not go back to law. I've made this issue of, of economic racism and really trying to create economic empowerment in our black community, my life. The black hair care firms, they uh, sustained the civil rights movement. Black women created these companies, huge, thriving companies, and we needed that. We talk about Black Wall Street now because we shine light on what happened in Tulsa. Most black neighborhoods were anchored by these black Wall Streets. And if we could bring that back, America would be better. I'm not saying bring all of it back, that would probably be impossible, but we can bring black hair care back. There are great black hair care companies that exist, black owned hair care companies that exist right now. And it would be wonderful for in America, just like other groups own their culturally relevant products and industries, that the black community can own the biggest black hair care brands, that the black community can own uh, black beauty supply stores. 3% of the beauty supply stores in black neighborhoods. And people know, people, black people know what I'm talking about. If you go into a black neighborhood, you're going to see a beauty supply store and they're going to sell all the black hair care products that only black people use and they are not owned by black people. So I've issued the Black Owned Hair Care Challenge. Just asking everyday folks to say, hi, my name is Maggie Anderson and I accept the Black Owned Hair Care Challenge. And tell the world that from now on, if I'm going to buy black hair care products, I'm going to make sure it's from a black-owned company. Get ready. Welcome, people. At the we are the all-natural corner. Seven, six, seven, zero, nine, four, five, seven. 
community at the All Natural Corner. You can get it all all you can come and get at the All Natural Corner. At the All Natural Corner. Yes, I was there and I talked to the manager and he let me know that all natural products was good for my body. He had 102 minerals for me and I was good, you know. I'm going to come back all the time because it's all right at the all natural corner. I can't say anything else. Now you can listen to our 24-7 hair radio broadcast network and shop all in the same place. Go to hairradio.com. We've got around-the-clock hair and beauty radio talk. And while you're there, buy your favorite books, hair products, tickets to live hair and beauty events, and much more. And if you'd like to feature your products in our hairradio.com website store or be a guest on the Hair Radio Broadcast Network, contact us at hairradio.com and reach the world. All right, we're back live. You're listening to the all-new Hair Radio Morning Show. I'm Carrie Heinz's Wednesday morning. It's August 11th of 2021. It's our show number 599. 599 before, of course, we get to show number 600, which will happen on Friday morning, August 12th. So just in a couple of days. Uh, But first, I want to bring back to the show, I want to bring back a gentleman who is widely known as a, uh, I call hair extraordinary. He's the gentleman who knows everything about cutting, coloring, and all-around family hair care, all the way live from Southern California. It's our friend to the Hair Radio Broadcast Network and Hair Radio Morning Show. The one and only Smooth Black, a.k.a. Troy Ballard. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome back to the show. Good morning, Carrie Hines. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. Uh, how are you? Now, you heard us say it's been almost, uh, well, today's show number 599. That's kind of like a milestone all by itself. What do you say, Smooth Black, when you hear something like that? And you being a big part of that. Well, Jerry, you know, um, progress, you know, uh, it's it's amazing, uh, the journey that you've taken, you know, and I can't wait till it's the 6,000th show, you know, God bless, (laughs) but uh, approaching 600, uh, you know, that's that's putting in work, so you've aired and been able to promote a lot of uh, professional people, and um, we thank you. You know, continue to uh, broadcast to us, and uh, we're just looking forward to hearing whatever you have to offer, sir. Thank you. Well, I appreciate those kind words. And speaking of kind words, for you guys who are just joining us for the very first time, uh, I want to remind you about Smooth Black's appearances on the Be Hair Radio Morning Show. Again, it's Wednesday morning, uh, 8.30 New York time. We're not going to say what time it is in California, but it's early. (laughs) 7.30 for you guys out in Central Time Zone. Now, I do want to say this. You usually kind of kick off your 30 minutes 
with some most inspirational talk. Now, let me tell you, I, I absolutely, we missed you while you were away because I look forward to those Wednesday mornings when you are uh, sharing uh, so oh. much wonderful words um, of encouragement and advice. So uh, today, um, so much going on in the world, you know, especially here in New York City. Uh, what kind of words that uh, you might be able to impart with us today? And then we're going to jump on in to all the hair talk fray this morning. So uh, what do you have for us, Smooth Black? Um, if I had anything, I just want the people to be encouraged, you know, and mm. the greatest gift that God has ever given the man was his ability to think. And, you know, I say, I think, therefore I am. And today I just want you to think about what thoughts go through your mind. And I encourage you to continue to read and pray and uh, develop a relationship with Jesus, the Lord and Savior. And if we would just, you know, learn to esteem others higher than ourselves and, you know, become a servant, you know, that's my job in the hair industry. I'm a servant, and God blesses me by serving people. Uh, but if we continue to just lift up one another pray for one another, especially in this time, uh, the COVID and the new strand that's out, you know, we, we the devil is defeated. Uh, all we need to do is just adhere to, you know, the rules and the regulation and apply ourselves and everything's going to be all right. So be encouraged. Just know that God has everything in control. And uh, I'm just excited. You know, every day I have great expectations of what, you know, just going to happen that day. And I take it one day at a time. Wonderful. Well, listen, my expectation is to have that great Barry White voice you've got over there, out there, <laughs> so black. My wow. goodness, you know, I tell you, I tell you. Well, listen, I am so happy to have you back on, as I mentioned earlier. Now, I want to jump on in because, you know, for those of you who are really just kind of getting to know Smooth Black today, uh, I've got to tell you, he is widely known, uh, renowned. Uh, around America, and uh, a legendary career. Now, this is not something you just started. You go back uh, some decades with hair care, and you yes, started yes. off, I, I think, now, you know, just remind everybody, you started off on the barbering side, and then you moved on over to uh, to hairstyling. So uh, no, tell the folks about, no? You know, what, what the story was, you know, uh, you believe in fake Carrie. Absolutely. And and God has things already predestined for you. We just got to fall in place. And once you find That's out, right. you know, your purpose and, um, you know, God gives us gifts and he makes room for us. And uh, my ability to cut hair, I learned in the military, Carrie, because uh, I started cutting wow. my hair because I didn't like the way they cut my hair. And, you know, we'd be in the weekend, we'd be in training exercises and would come in on a Friday, the barbershops are closed. I go in the bathroom, grab my mirror, and hook myself up, and I'm ready to go to the club. Uh, my friends would be like, who cut your hair? I'd be like, I did. But um, it seemed like every female that I dated had something to do with hair. And um, believe it or not, when I got married in the military, my wife was a, a model and uh, going to beauty college. And so wow. when I got out of the military, I was planning on going to barber college and she would be the cosmetologist and we would have a, you know, great uh, family business. But that didn't take place, mm -hmm. Karen. Oh, no, I worked it out well, there was a different plan. 
Oh yeah, different plans. So you know, gotta be, gotta learn how to adjust in life, you know, and then keep it moving. Yeah. But my love for hair. Uh, once I got out of the military, I went and I tried to enroll in barber college, Carrie. I went down mm. three times, and three times he did not enroll. <laughs> yeah. Oh and then man! One day, I mean, how did that make you feel? <laughs> wow. Well, Gary, you know, I already knew how to cut hair, you know, in my mindset, you know, it wasn't too much they can teach me about a ball fade, a high tight ball fade, the military cuts. I was already doing those. Um, but yeah. I was going down Highland Avenue in San Bernardino and I seen Richard's Beauty College and I went in there and I was like, okay, I guess this is what, because my, my ex-wife, she was, you know, uh, going to cosmetology school, but back then she was a weaveologist. I tell her she was into commercial oh. hair and and hair yeah. augmentation and you know and i always wanted to you know play in the hair she would never let me so i went to beauty college so when i got there that day i said okay this is it this is it and uh 30 years later carrie i'm still behind the chair you yeah. are still behind the chair but doing some great work as always and like i yes, said sir. your rep- reputation precedes you i mean everybody knows who you are i love the words uh the phrase you just said mentioned hair augmentation that's got to be mm-hmm. one of my favorites. I love it. Okay, so listen, I want to talk about uh, what's happening uh, for the summer and the fall. That's why, folks, they will kill me if I do not uh, talk to you about some wonderful hair care tips and all of that. So going into the fall, um, I know and I believe that everybody always talks about fall colors. So is this the time where they should uh, look at these wonderful you know, autumnal type colors, you know, uh, browns and, you know, earth tones and things like that. Is that what happens or is it just business as usual? Well, basically, I, I believe things are business as usual. You know, clients, um, you know, I believe that the stylist can really uh, dictate what trend they want to set at that time mm. in the season. Uh, because as we promote our business, you know, I'm always introducing my clients to new, you know, uh, you know, just say notice we've been wearing this same haircut for a while. Uh, how about a change, you know? And, you know, always, you know, uh, implement <laughs> you, something do new. They, what, yeah. what do they say when you say, well, you, you've kind of been wearing the same stuff? I mean, do well, they ever know, laugh at that or say, okay, you know what, it is time to, like, you know, let's try something new? Well, I, I have some, some clients It's just like um, – Say you're on set on a movie and you got that yeah. hairstyle and every time you go on set, that hairstyle has to be the same. In life, there are people like that. They'll get oh, that right. hairstyle and they're set for life. You know, so I'm like, yeah. to me as a stylist, it's good money, but it's boring to me over time because I like challenge. I want to color. Mm-hmm. I want to cut. I want to change. I want to. Mm-hmm. Every time you sit in my chair, I have one universal haircut, but I can give you 101 different styles with that one haircut. And what I found out wow. is that once your clients uh, believe and trust in you, you can almost have your way with them as far as creating a look and a style, uh, what color they're going to wear. Uh, because they basically, you know, as a, uh, let's say we're professional hairdressers, so we are doctors, we have a PhD in this thing. But as a professional yeah. hairdresser, when they come to me, I make suggestions and, you know, and I want to stay trendy. So I want them to, whenever they leave my chair, I always tell them, if you don't get a compliment today, I didn't do my job. Wow. You know, uh, what, you know what? That needs to be the title of our book, okay? That I love that, and wow. that is that is amazing. Now, Say it just reminds me. 
right? It reminds yes, me. I remember uh, I had a barber here in New York, and uh, I would go to my barber and I would tell him I because I kind of felt that we lose touch when we're sitting in the the chair at the shop. And I said, mm-hmm. after a while, we don't realize that we're, you know, always getting the same styles and it's just become routine. And I mm-hmm. said to him, I said, listen, if I ever sit in this chair and ask for the same style and you yourself know that nobody else is getting this style anymore and that this style is passing, please, please do not cut my hair or give me the same style. You do something else or let me mm-hmm. know. And he made that promise, and one day that day came. Okay. <laughs> no more bowl haircuts. Right, <laughs> you know, right. the old chef look from Three Stooges. I had to do away with that. So, listen, oh, I just tell you, um, so it's kind of nice. So there's a partnership between the hairstylist and the client. There should be anyway, right? Honestly, you know, um, you know, as we say, as a cosmological entrepreneur, um, yes, you know, I love that. <laughs> over the years, I'm you know learning to develop relationships with your clients. I mean, it's business because in my business, you know, um, I've always rented a booth, or now I'm leasing a space, uh, and I create my own business within a business. But at that time, I'm not a super cuts, a master cuts, a fantastic sandwich where people come in and they would just get assigned a cookie solid. cutter. Yeah, and, you know, they never, uh, the the client doesn't care. All they want is a haircut, you know, and they're probably, you know, like a microwave, want to be in and out. But as a personal stylist that I develop a one-on-one, you know, my first thing when you come to me, we do a consult, and, you know, I'm building a clientele to where every day of the week I'm trying to fill a a slot. As a stylist, Uh I want to know when I come in on Tuesday, how much, how many clients I'm going to do that day, and I pretty much can calculate my uh, income. And you know, and when I get done with that day, put the money in the bank, and you know, establish a business. Because so many stylists now are not doing business. We do hair, we do great hair, we pay bills, but we're not doing business. And um, encouraging stylists today to really get to know the business side, open their business account, not just taking the money, putting it in their pocket and spending it. You know, it's about building and uh, growing, especially uh, 2022, 23 and beyond. We got to be ready because the laws are changing, Carrie. And exactly. They're trying to make, oh, my God. You know, it's a lot that I want to share. You know, I think we touched on it a little bit at one time, but, you know, to the point they won't even have a have to have a license to barber anymore. Okay? I was we must have ESP because that's exactly what I was just thinking. Uh, yeah. You know, there are quite a few states out there. I was I received one even from Texas the other day an alert uh, mm-hmm. for things like this where you know for you guys out there who are not necessarily in the hair biz in or the industry, uh, it's you know it's overseen by each state. You know, each state's yeah. a little different. Uh, how mm-hmm. they operate uh, cosmetology. But uh, what is tr- kind of troubling for me, and I'm sure for you, and just pretty much all of our uh, fans of the Hair Radio Morning Show, as you just said, uh, is that they're trying to deregulate yes, the sir. industry, which means, yeah, yes, do away sir. with the licensing uh, for the hairstylists in some places. Um, how does that, you know, how does that make you feel again? 
Well, you know, as a cosmetological entrepreneur and uh, self-employed, yeah. I don't work for nobody. What they're trying to do is regulate because during the pandemic, they really got a, a glimpse to see the revenue that our industry brings in. And, you know, uh-huh. so many stylists that, you know, we, we, you know, make good money, but they don't report all their income. And they're trying to make sure that we're going to in a place where you can be controlled. Uh, we can put a price. We can tax the haircuts. We want to know how much money you're making that day. Mm. We want to they want more because, uh, you know, there's been kind of uh, the misconception that, you know, there's a, yeah, a lot of underreporting, if you will. Yeah. And but uh, I wow, there, I want to, I want, I want to buy a, a half a million dollar house. I can't report. I only made uh, forty thousand dollars this year. You know. Yeah, yeah, I you got know, you. So, wow, so, but from and a, that's from a professional ooh. standpoint, building your business, building your portfolio, getting your life in order, uh, because your gift can take you only so far. You know. But now, what do you do with the money that you're making, and and how can it? benefit you in the end, you know, especially with, you know, uh, being self-employed, you know, I challenge stylists to make sure they have a life insurance, they get them a health plan, um, and, you know, basically take care of themselves. Aflac's a good one. In case you get hurt, you get paid while you're off. You know, there's so many aspects that I've seen a lot of stylists get sick and not able to recover because they weren't prepared, Eric. Wow. I'm just I'm blown away. And you've been able to avoid a lot of these pitfalls. How were you able to do that, Smooth Black, a.k.a. Troy Ballard? How were you able to avoid a lot of that? Well, I've been blessed, you know. Uh, Even as a a young stylist coming in, I was inquisitive and wanted to know. And it didn't take long to know that I didn't have to reinvent the wheel. Um, When I went and worked in my first salon, and I was paying booth rent, and I was doing the calculations of, 18 stylists in here at $125 a booth. And I looked at the space of the building, and I was like, okay, I just got to find me a space, get me some chairs, and open some doors. But, you know, it was even more than that because now I got my business. I got to obtain a lease, lease the building. Uh, Then I had to get my establishment license. Then I had to go and get my bank account, get you know, and get a business account. and just set it all up and, you know, getting uh, with the Chamber of Commerce, the black business, uh, whatever they could give me to help benefit my business, I was looking forward to. So over the years, you know, just watching other uh, owners and, you know, asking questions and making sure, look, I want to stay in business. I don't want to be in trouble with IRS. Uh, so oh, basically no. learning how to, you know, run your business. So over well, the years, it- you know, I'm still... I'm still growing, Carrie, and I'm still learning. And, you know, it's, it's a lot out there. You are, listen, I'm going to just let you folks out there know, Smooth Black is an industry superstar. You are known from coast to coast. And a lot of this has to do, uh, for those of you who are just kind of joining us, we're tra- chatting with Smooth Black this morning. Uh, you guys know him also as Troy Ballard, all the way from Southern California. He's with us live. This morning, he's up and with us live. So I was just about to say, folks know you because you go out and you do a lot of things in the way of education, just kind of like what you're doing this morning with us here. You're giving us an education in the hair industry and the business mm-hmm. of hair. So uh, talk to us a little bit about that, of some of the experiences you've had 
talking to people and representing brands in the hair world? Oh, well, you know, since I'm here on this board, you know, I can give a shout out to Design Essentials who gave oh, me my first Oh, of course. As, oh, Design uh, Essentials. Yes, they, um, McBride Research Laboratories, um, mm-hmm. Cornell McBride, they were awesome in um, giving me an opportunity to learn how to be a platform artist. And what the company did for me was gave me an opportunity. I had to fly myself to Atlanta uh, for two days of education. And in them two days, um, they had an outstanding program with the distributors from every state in California um, to care that represented their city and the distributor. And we all came together for an educational symposium in which they would instill in us, teach us advanced haircutting, uh, product knowledge, getting to know the company and the, the uh, mission statement and just being able to be in front of my peers. And it was a challenge because, you know, they put you out there real quick and they want to know how well you can uh, communicate or be able to articulate the product in front of an audience. You know, so if you got exactly. stage size or anything like that, it's all going to come out. So, but if you got chosen there, you first came as a candidate, then you became a, an associate, then it goes to an uh, educator. So, you know, when I left that company, I was an educator. Um, and it was a beautiful thing. It gave me an opportunity to travel the United States. I've taught in New York, Detroit, uh, what, Pueblo, Colorado, everywhere um, with Design Essentials. I was with that company for a decade. Um, then I was able to transition to, uh, and God rest her soul, Miss uh, Linda, uh, uh. Um, from the um, Violet Products out of Jackson, uh, Tennessee, a black-owned company, and I became an educator uh. for that company, which was a real small company with a great product. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I still love it. I still use it today, and it, it, it was a blessing just to, you know, be able to represent a brand in a way that, you know, they paid me well. I was at the Bonner Brothers show seven years in a row. Carrie. Oh, so we have to shout out had... Bernard Bronner and the family. Oh, yes. my God. Yeah. But, you know, it was a blessing because the benefits other than just, you know, going to work every day is, is great. But being able to travel and to be around your peers and be able to, you know, share. You know, and, and then, now, you, know, you, you know, we've got to tell folks, if you've never been to a Bronner Brothers hair show, you have got to go to Bronner Brothers. Uh, okay. It is just just crazy. I mean, the lights, the music, the hairstyling, mm-hmm. uh, the amazing hairstylists and barbers and product companies. And it's it was a turning point for me at my first Bronner Brothers uh, hair show. And uh, and I'm very grateful. And I love them very much. We wouldn't be here had it not been for Bronner Brothers. So yes, good right. stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Well, listen, um, for you guys, again, if you're just joining us, I did want to ask you about one thing, uh, Troy Ballard. He's with us this morning. If it's Wednesday morning, if it's 8.30 Eastern time, 7.30 Central. He's with us live on the air all the way from Southern California, out uh, not too far from L.A., what, the, maybe 60 miles or so, something like that, in that yes. arena. 
I think, uh, just to give you guys a little bit of an idea. Now, I want to say, because uh, we have a show on also that kind of brings together and does a lot of work for veterans. And as you were kind of talking about this um, at the top of today's broadcast, I wanted to say, my goodness, I forget that you were a veteran. And also that that kind of sparked your hair career. What's the, you know, what's the challenge in, you know, I hear a lot of, folks who uh, are in different parts of the service always bring up about the hair. Um, how big was that? And is it, do you think it's changed now and all that? Well, you With know, regards to hair care and, and the services. You know, a part of our, like you say, our BDUs, our battle dress uniform that we used to wear every day. Uh, you know, we wear lids. You always have a hat on, you know? So, you know, mm. for the men, it was important to get the taper. But for women, it was always different, you know, because they would have to have their hair pulled back into a ponytail, you know, and off their you know, yeah. shoulders. And so, you know, it's different strokes for different folks. But women, um, basically, you know, because I, I served in Germany and Korea, and but being able, you know, to just observe the women was different because, you know, most of the time their hair is pulled in a ponytail with the hat on, you know, and, right. you know, we're ready for it. But once that, you know, like any, I had one, um, young lady who was uh, stationed uh, in Virginia and her family's out here when she would visit and she would come and the girl had hair almost to the small of her back, but, you know, wore it naturally, uh. but kept it in a ponytail all the time. So she would just come uh. with me once a year to get it straightened, conditioned and cut and, you know, go back to work, you know, pulling it back in the ponytail. But I'm talking about healthy hair because she took care of it. So, you know, so that's wow. Well, listen, I just want to say thank you for that. We're going to have to get you on Vet Talk Radio Show with Michael Alvarez. Listen, yes, indeed. Uh, For you guys out there who are going to continue, of course, we want folks to follow you. Uh, Your show, this broadcast that you guys are listening to right now, will replay over on our 24-hour, seven-day-a-week streaming site at hearradio.com. So, again, it's H-A-I-Radio.com, just one R, and uh, it'll replay on Saturday uh, at 3 o'clock Eastern time. So, for you guys out in California, that's noon, and for you guys in Central Time Zone, that's 2 o'clock. So, please, please, please go there, and you can listen to us. We're on around the clock anyway over there all the time, every day, broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting. Uh, as we pointed out, we're coming up on 600 shows. Our 600th show will be Friday morning. We're celebrating right here on the live on the Hair Radio Morning Show. And Smooth Black, we're going to hear from you on Friday also. I'm, I'm a little birdie told me, so we're real happy about that. Yeah. Now, um, right? Yeah. So I'm real happy. Yes, thank you. And we've got some uh, surprises for you also in store. And so forth. So listen, I'll, yeah, I want to also just, um, we must check in with the family. We talked about balance and all of that early on. Uh, mm-hmm. You have to balance family with your professional duties. How is that? And is that, has that been a challenge for you? Oh, funny you would mention that, you know, school season just started. And um, yes. um, my, my son is in the second grade and my daughter is in kindergarten. And man, Carrie, you know the things. I always, I always commend single women, you know, because I'm a single parent. Yes. And yes. Um, for the mothers, I take my hat off to you, because now I really understand the um, the heart 
and everything that you do to get the kids prepared just for the day. As uh, soon as I get off this phone, Carrie is getting them up. Uh, Got to <laughs> be out the house by seven. To be at school by yes. seven twenty, they'll have breakfast. But then, wow. you know, making adjustments because I just got my daughter enrolled yesterday. So my son oh. started on Friday. My son started on Friday, wow. and she didn't get to go to school. So I took her to work with me. So I'm like, oh, I got to get to school. That. I did everything I had to do, but I had to jump through hoops. But just, you know, for the mothers, you know, paperwork, uh, you know, all that paperwork. Wow. You know, keep all the forms together, you know, it's like, okay, but paperwork got to be right, you know, and, and going down to the uh, enrollment and getting them into a new school. It's It's been a challenge, but, you know, uh, even now I have to adjust my schedule because my daughter gets out at 11.50, so I got to pick her up, bring her back, then my son gets out at 2.20, you know. And so then you I still got to do work today at the shop? Yes, sir. So, you know, it's wow. a challenge, but God God makes a way. That's why I tell you, you know, what we put in is what we're going to get out, and I'm, I'm in it 110%. So, you know, my kids have to succeed, and that's, that's why I get up every morning. Wow. Well, I tell you, I first of all, I just love hearing your kids. Usually I was telling Joy Ballot before uh, we went on the air this morning that I'm so used to hearing them in the background. I forget that you're three hours behind. Yeah. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, so it's very early in the morning out there in Southern California. Well, listen, we just love having you on the show. Uh, I've known you for many, many, many years. Let me just go ahead and and disclosed that many, many years and uh, long before you started your official career in the hair business. Yes. So it is a great pleasure and honor to see that you've come this far with all that you're doing. And uh, we just love you. We appreciate you, Smooth Black, a.k.a. Troy Ballard. So uh, now what closing out words uh, are you going to leave with us on this Wednesday morning, August 11th of 2021? Well, Gary, thank you for having me. And I just want people to know this. It's just don't forget to tell the Lord thank you. God has been too good. He wakes us up every morning, starts us on our way, gives us an opportunity for a a great day. And remember, as a man, think think on good things, positive things that are going to uplift you and motivate you and keep you, you know, because God is good. As long as we seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness, that all these things will be added unto you. God already knows what we have need of. We just got to seek him first and acknowledge him in all our ways, and he's going to direct our path. So to everyone, I thank you for an opportunity just to share, especially God's word, because he's been too good. He wants you to tell it and, you know, and tell somebody that you love. All right. Give me a smile. Awesome. And, you know, let's keep moving on in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. And on that note, just a reminder, we'll be back on Friday morning live. Tomorrow's my birthday. We're taking off. So we'll be back. Thank you so much. We'll be back on Friday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern time for the big 600 celebration. Thank you so much, Troy Ballard, Smooth Black. Thank you. And we'll see you guys uh, soon for the next broadcast. All right. Make it a great, great, great Wednesday. All right. Thanks again, Smooth Black. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.